subsiding. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> Need a drink? I'm gonna be on. I already poured me one, and guess what, Thomas, you snob? It's got bourbon and ice in the same glass. So this asshole, I pour a man a drink every time. He does a great job. I love him. It's a great hire. But my man got a little out of pocket. <laughs> Poured him bourbon a couple weeks ago, and he forgot whose house he was fucking in. Oh, I, I give him a, a well. Yeah, he was. Yeah, that, that was not worded phrasing. Okay, <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe he was. I don't know what he was doing. But poor man, a bourbon. How I like it on some ice. And, and forgive me, Thomas. Maybe you're right. Maybe I should have asked. I did not ask because you know I'm not a server by trade. I'm just a generous well, motherfucker. Time out. Don't you have a degree in bartending? Doesn't mean I practice. Doesn't mean I practice. <laughs> so I do. Atlanta School of Bartending, 1993. Yeah. Had to get parental consent because I was underage to go to the Atlanta School of Bartending. And that uh, diploma is hanging in Mitch and Drew's house at their bar. Which is hilarious. Yeah. And I attended a bar there once at a, at a party they had. So anyway, poor my man over here, fucking Nantucket, Nantucket fruit snacks over here. Look at him. Yeah, no. it, it, so you wouldn't know he was a bourbon snob. Nantucket nectars over there. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. It's probably Welch's been 10 snack. years since I've seen a Nantucket nectars. Don't worry, I didn't know I, they I, were still made. I, I can tell. I probably walked through the kitchen too and no one of honest. She was all like, Thomas, would you, would you like some fruit snacks? <laughs> so my man got some fruit snacks. Looks like he'd, he probably yelled at her about some snack packs or something. And so anyway, pour him a bourbon. Nice bourbon. Hint to him. He's like, Kevin, don't ever. <laughs> I mean, look me hard in the eye. Ever. Like, squared up. Like, ever put ice in my bourbon. And he's just like <laughs> this. And, it, you know, and I, I guess it's like he's theatrical. You know, he's the lead singer of the band Hours North, so he thinks he's real fucking cool. And he's like, ever. <laughs> Neat only. I was like, Yes, sir, Thomas. I'm sorry. All right, all right. What did I do wrong, man? I was just trying to hook you up. Like, I felt he's terrible. Like, he's like, you know, I am the captain now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, 10 minutes later, he goes take a pee. I'm like, the motherfucker ever says something like that to me. I'm going to beat his ass. <laughs> you know, I talk shit after he left. <laughs> so, yeah. So, if you guys pour my man a bourbon, please don't put ice in it. Shit, there we go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, well, you know, I, I'm not used to drinking that much was on it last, a school night. Was it last night or this morning? Well, yeah. I don't know what today is. Uh, it was technically <laughs> this morning, yeah, because it was Correct. after midnight that we were that we were in there. Yeah, I'm yeah. not trying to make a fashion statement. I'm easing into the day. These guys, young guys, show up. We end up, I don't know, went to bed at like 3 a.m. or something. Mm-hmm. It was after 3, I think, because I don't know. it was. I remember thinking it was five hours until I was going to wake up. Mm-hmm. So I just need a little pick-me-up. I'm going to get in the game. How are you guys doing? Great. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I love the fact that we're showing, you know, we don't mind. We're very open-minded. So we're very happy to have you guys as a couple here. Um, as, so as, a couple. We, as a couple. <laughs> Adam, good morning. Hey, how are you? I'm good. Great. I'm good. So have you met Brett and Both. Ron? Yep, this morning. So. Brett, the CEO of this Taurus. morning, like today, this morning, not like from leftover last night. This morning, oh my God, it's a blur. Well, we met prior to this. It's a oh blur. yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah we I don't, I night. don't know. 
Thomas, we got to rethink the, the people staying at my house that that I like because it just it's turned into a party. You got a reputation, and it creeps into my life. Next thing I know, I'm staying up till three o'clock drinking with like young people. And, woo! All right. <laughs> so, Ron, what what is what is your title, Mister Vertex Man? My title is National Sales Manager for the Commercial Division. So we handle everything that is not first responders and federal Gosh. or military. Brett, I ain't going to lie. It actually almost sounds more important than your job. <laughs> that sounds prob- impressive. Yeah, it probably is. Are there different product lines for civilian versus law enforcement or military? Or is it just different sales regions or, or Not structure? necessarily. Yeah, yeah. really just uh, different You know who we go to mm-hmm. um, for our customers. So right. we have uh, somebody that handles strictly... You know, they spend a lot of time in D.C. They do a lot of our military customers mm-hmm. and the uh, federal customers. Yeah. Um, they spend a lot of time at Fletzy down in Brunswick and kind of all over the country, wherever there are big federal and military customers. And then we have somebody that's um, in charge of the whole sales team on the public safety side of things. So they do anything from uh, firefighters to, you know, mainly police and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what they do. So mm-hmm. hmm. Get right up on your mic. Oh, yeah. I'm right up on it. Yeah, just <laughs> let your lips touch it. <laughs> <laughs> that felt awkward <laughs> you touching them like that. I'm not gonna lie. All right. Well, um, God, you guys are such babies, so young. So I have all these notes for like, because you guys are babies, and that that it makes me so happy. It does because you guys have great jobs, all three of you. Fuck you guys. I mean, you're you're the minority age person here. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'm. I mean, I'm in the twilight basically. Yeah. I'm riding off yeah. sunset right now. I mean, I'm. It's it's downhill from here for me. But I spent a very long time <laughs> being the young guy. So it's exciting to me because you used to couldn't be young and have a good job in the firearms industry. Mm-hmm. And I like to take credit for that changing. So basically, I think you guys all owe me something. Um, but yeah, it was not that way. Not even that long ago. If you were in your 30s, you could not have the jobs that you guys have. I believe in our industry. It just didn't happen. So that's exciting. So um, I don't know what the fuck to start with. Let's start with you, Ron. Let's all right. So... Vertex. How did this, what is it, how did it happen, where'd it come from, who owns you, what you doing, these sorts of things. So we do what we call like highly technical, like highly functional clothing and bags um, for tier one customers. And the whole goal for Vertex is to do everything where it looks extremely low profile. So if you were to see one of our bags or if you were to see any of our clothing on somebody you would assume that it's just standard outdoor apparel or, you know, uh, hiking wear on them or anything like that. And so uh, we try to make colors that are non-tactical. Everything that, you know, back, yeah, yeah. back uh, in the day, it used to be everything would have a bunch of molly on it. Everything would mm-hmm. look like, you know, black or FDE. I or, recall these days. Yeah. And uh, these jeans you sent me, I like them very much. They're stretchy because, you know, I'm not getting thinner as I get older. And then I have this great pocket right here. My mag, my spare mag fits in there. Nobody can see it. And a lot of people use that for uh, their cell phone. And uh, and we do a ton of gear now as well. So yeah, um, we gear. What, up, what does that mean? So we've teamed up bags. with companies like uh, like Unity Tactical. How they do their clutch belt. We've started doing versions of the clutch belt for uh, Unity Tactical under their name. You know, it's still the Unity oh, nice. Tactical clutch belt, but we uh, do their full. 360 clutch belt which goes uh entirely around the waistband and then we also do a new version of it that brett actually uses a fair amount called the runner's clutch which is a more it's minimalist legit. approach and uh we used it on a 5k the other day and um basically it allows you to just have three pockets opposed to pockets 
around your entire uh, waistband and it makes it a little bit more um, you know a, a little more lightweight and allows you to move around a little bit more without having so much around the waistband yeah so uh, getting into more categories like that mag pouches and um, you know uh, everything from like we have a new uh, contingency outbound kit which is more of like a toiletries bag that goes inside of your um, any of your vertex bags that you would travel with uh, Brett rolled in today with his new um, you know our rolling carry-on duffel and uh, oh so, you have one of these oh yeah Very and good. so because you've sent me some stuff I oh, like yeah. it you know these socks you are spot on with these oh my god everyone should order these socks you, did I give you any these probably didn't I have a pair you I wear it seven days a week yeah yeah because I've kept almost I did I did give out a few pairs you but did. these mm-hmm. oh my god these socks are great so what's up with these socks why are they so good so our socks uh, we the whole point of the brand is we don't do anything unless we can make a big impact in the space or unless we can do something that's really different from everything else that's out there and when we looked at socks there was somebody doing the best socks out there so instead of trying to do something better which we cannot do we teamed up with them and that's uh point six are uh, the folks that we teamed up with for our socks and they make uh you know their wool blend socks and they feature a technology called 37.5 which basically manages your moisture um we have it in a ton of our clothing 37.5 technology it manages your moisture manages the rain, your temperature. the rain jacket is the one that it's legit it works yeah and that's called our fury hard shell and um uh, you know, you can get it in all different types of membranes, this 37.5 technology, yeah. but in the socks, you really, I mean, I'm sure you noticed it in They're Africa. wonderful. Yeah. It makes a huge I, I difference. I wore them every day in Africa. The only socks I took. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. They're not too thick, but they're they're warm. Like, uh, oh, it was great. Yeah. And we've been really happy with them. And, and it's just been a great partnership with, with uh, oh. Point Six is, is the name of the company. That's wonderful. Well, where'd you guys come from? Vertex. So Vertex, our parent company is a company called Fetchheimer Brothers. They're about 180 years old, oh. and the company's based out of Cincinnati, Ohio, so you got to think it's right there at the Mason-Dixon line, and during the Civil War, I mean, we made uniforms for both sides of the Civil War, and uh-huh. uh, and so that's awesome. no matter who won, we were right there uh, for the beginning yeah. of it, and so you got to think, when the postal office came around, we started doing uniforms for the postal office and still do that. We, uh, you know, as soon as formalized police departments became a thing, we were making uniforms for them. Oh, and we're so, still okay. So like dress uniforms sort of stuff. Exactly. And that's under a brand called Flying Cross, mm-hmm. um, which most people, you know, like uh, I'm sure, you know, your uh, dress blues when you were in, those were probably Flying Cross. Maybe. I don't and, remember uh, who made those. I'm sure it had so a tag in it. When you look at the new Army contract, the new uh, pinks and greens that are a throwback to the old World War II uniforms, we did them back in the day, mm-hmm. the original ones, and we just got the new contract um, to do those. That's on the Flying Cross side of things. And so... Um, it's been really neat working with this company because they have an almost 200 year pedigree of doing, you know, world-class apparel. And, uh, now Vertex is, uh, and it's, you know, about 12 years old and, uh, what they're doing is all low profile. So outside of the uniform pieces that we had traditionally done as a company and now doing all low profile apparel is where that, uh, where that came from back, uh, you know, when the global war on terrorism was kicking off, you know, and you got to think back then the only tactical clothing you could get was like five eleven, or, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people were wearing Royal Robins back then and everyone called it shoot me first pants, you know? Yeah. And, uh, everybody had like cargo pockets and like, it was all very, very tactical. Yeah, it's like the contractor starter pack. We were the yeah. first company to put stretch in our pants, yeah. which back then people were like, 
Oh man, you get yoga hey, pants man, on. I'm all about those stretch pants, man. Let me tell you. Yeah. Now, now, now we've all kind of embraced it. It's a big deal. Yeah. yeah it's my cool. my so. Lee jeans have stretch in them. Oh yeah. yeah. Really? Oh yeah. I didn't even know that was still a company. Yeah. That's awesome. Cheap. Yeah. You know, I've got a Disposable. buddy at Vertex. If you want yeah. some uh, Vertex <laughs> jeans, <laughs> they're nice. They're stretchy, man. Yeah. yeah they're nice, yeah, and yeah. you can fit Max because you you probably carry. I like a, I, do. I, I yeah. should more. Huh. What do you carry? Uh, Glock 19. Oh, nice. Yeah. Big ass. Gun. Gen 3 or? Yeah. <laughs> we were talking oh, about I last just, night. I so just if you're a gun dork, it's the Gen 3 is the thing. I mean, Jay, is that correct? I need a fact check on this. I have a Gen 4. I got, oh, oh, wow. Oh. I didn't get the Gen oh, 3 wow. for any specific He's not reason. a millennial. Yeah. Big interchangeable backstrap guy. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you never know. Yeah. He's now got, the, He got the little hands. Gen 3 for me was just like an opportunity to get a cheap gun from a buddy. Gotcha. Yeah. But uh, I like it. Uh, I like it better than all the new gens. For sure. Same. Yeah. We were talking about that last night. I think they got it right on the Gen 3. Yeah. The, the only Glock I own is a Gen 3. Do you want to tell everybody the story of how you had to carry that for a year while wait working at Walter? Yeah. <laughs> so we, we had well, a... Well, wait. So we got... It, we got. God damn, I'm in charge of this. Yeah. So we were making geez, these uh, All right. So, we're gonna, yeah. so Brett, it's exciting. You're, you're the CEO of Taurus. So not a new gun company. Also foreign, but not European. So from Brazil, so they're willing to put somebody young in charge. Yeah. And and how's this happen? Where are you from? Well, yeah, I'm I mean, I'm from the gun industry, so to speak. I mean, I've I've kind of grew up in, in the industry, but um yeah, so Taurus, they're crazy enough to uh kind of pick a, a guy to run the ship for the US market that is probably not your traditional CEO, uh, you know, been there, done that type of type of guy. Um, so really nothing so exciting about that other than, you know, they're, they're crazy enough to try it. Um, well, you started where, like where, where it was your first job in the industry? Yeah. When I was, uh, I think I was 19, I started working at Crimson Trace as an accountant actually. Um, and so, you know, that, so you're from the Northwest. Yep. I'm from Oregon, grew yep. up there, went to school there. Um, and, and so, I started working at Crimson Trace, uh, kind of worked there for three and a half years, something like that. Oh, well, yeah. Um, as an accounting intern, yep. but, but did a lot with the engineering department, with the sales department, the marketing department, whatever. Got to explore the different sides of the business and figure out what I really enjoyed. And then from there is kind of not, not so much pursuing my passion, but doing things I, I liked. Um, you know, I went to school to be an accountant, but I knew... I didn't want to be an accountant. So doesn't uh, seem that exciting. No, it's really not. Um, and, and so when I, I left, uh, I left Crimson Trace, went to work for Leupold, um, which is a, you know, a fantastic rifle scope manufacturer also in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, great American company on the sales team. That's really where I, I dove into the industry and, and started, started what I do. Um, in, you know, so just over the years, been kind of moving my way. Not, not that I've been trying to climb the corporate ladder or whatever you want to say, but taking advantage of the opportunities that that have presented themselves. I think that's wonderful. I mean, I, I you know preach that to my kids too. It's like you know you got an opportunity. It's something different. Something that you know is in the lane of what you might like. Like take that chance. Yeah, know? yeah. So um, most recently, I was at Walther for six or seven years. 
and uh, and their headquarters in the U.S. is in Arkansas in Fort Smith, Arkansas. So yeah. you moved from there to yeah, I moved Oregon. from Oregon, went to oh. went to Arkansas. Quite the change. Thirty six hour drive in a U-Haul. If you're wondering, <laughs> I was. <laughs> that was my next question. Yeah, in a U-Haul. Yeah, I drive a Land Cruiser cross <laughs> country. What do I care? <laughs> so, uh, but you know, that's really you know working with the the engineers on on guns and figuring out how to do things better really what i what i enjoy and what i'm i don't know that i'm good at it but you know we're we'll figure that well, out you over love time. It? yeah like you're passionate about the industry yeah so i'm sorry what was your job at welter i was the vice president of sales marketing and okay. product development cool. you know I, I mean it's it's so cool to me because to me you know i started probably the age you did in the industry and like i had no idea it'd be a career and you know and it's just like oh this is fun i like this this is way better than having a real job you know, before you know it, it evolves into something. I mean, you start that young. I mean, it's hard, you know, like I'm 47 with 28 years experience in our industry. And it's, you know, I've said it before, like it's hard. It's hard to replace experience. So, you know, in America, if you 10,000 hours makes you an expert in something in Japan, it's probably 30, 40,000. And then I've got like 100,000 hours. Uh, I mean, just that I probably have 10,000 hours of just failures. Like, what do you learn from that? Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, so that's exciting because, yeah, you can get some, you know, that's what I was uh, complimenting you guys on sort of backhandedly earlier, being young fucking punks. But, you know, when, when I was growing up in the industry and I'm probably, you know, like I like to think of myself still as very young and learning everything every day. And, but, you know, when I was y'all's age, like everyone was in their mid fifties that had a decent job and they all like most everyone and people that we also are friends with, like in the industry now, you know, that have jobs at some of the bigger companies. It, it's like they were working, you know, 10 years ago at Black and Decker or, you know, they were, you know, an executive in Walmart or somewhere mm-hmm. totally unrelated. So they might have business strategies, but for me, like, I just, I'm so driven by like the passion I love what we do, and you you got to have time in to do it. And I tell you what, I learned a lot. It was easier for me to learn when I was y'all's age than my age now. That like was when, the thing that was most exciting to me when I when Taurus went ahead and hired Brett was uh. It makes you know, me love he, Taurus. He like, was, I love the store. He he's a young guy, but he's also super passionate about guns. Like he's an endemic shooter, and he's you know what he cares about is hunting and shooting and guns. Like. That's all he thinks about all day. Yeah. And uh, that's, that, you know, seeing those kinds of people get plugged into key spots in our industry. And there's a handful of them that are out there. That well, are it's, in, it's changing. I got, oh, yeah. I got some notes on that in here, but I've always felt that way. You, you know, at the time I, uh, after Remington bought my first company, the time I spent there, I got young, some young people promoted and tried hard to get others. You know, I had to fight. Um, for Lindsay, there there was a girl. She was kind of my assistant. Our company was very small when they bought it, and she but she ran the company. But they looked at her at the time as young, and she was female, so she was nobody. And they tried to like basically demote her, and I wouldn't allow it. And I, you know, I forced them, and you know, and I, I like you know, you know, kind of played my hand. And I'm, you know, I bluffed them, and like, yeah, I'm not into this. If you're gonna go and change this, like, I trust this person. She's smart. You can't place anyone here that's gonna do a better job. You know, and, and the company was, you know, ended up doing great for a couple of years. But being in those organizations, yeah, everyone that I had to deal with, like it was just, it wasn't a passion for them. 
You know, it was a career thing. And, and it could be a generational thing that changed with my generation of, you know, my, my parents were born in World War II and it was like, have stability. And it work isn't supposed to be fun. And, you know, I grew up like I'm an accident by seven years. And, you know, I, I grew up seeing them not loving what they did for a living. And it freaked me out. And I just wanted to do something that didn't seem horrible every day. And, you know, like I had the opportunity, I was lucky enough to find a passion. And I don't think it's ever stopped. I mean, I've said it before. The only two years I've ever worked, uh, the second year after I sold to Remington and my second year at SIG, those sucked. Because, you know, we had a bunch of idiots in charge making stupid decisions. And people that were not passionate about the industry, that didn't love it, that weren't willing to, you know, sacrifice and put in the work you know, to get through the hard times. Everybody just wants to skate on those good times, you know. And, and to me, that brings me to, like, uh, like Taurus. You know, I went through growing up in the industry where Taurus was, um, you know, you guys had a, a frame-mounted safety Beretta 92 and then some Smith revolvers that were, you know, it's it's like, uh, you know, like the Bursa 380. You can't afford this, so you get this. And now I see Taurus doing, like, exciting, innovative stuff. Like, mm -hmm. you sent me this 22. And I didn't even know about it. Yeah, that gun's cool. This gun is awesome. I didn't know about it. Ron told me about it. You sent me one. So it's a 16-round mag. So, okay, so double stack to a single position feed mag. Virtually impossible to do that with a rimmed cartridge like a twenty-two. It works great. The gun's affordable. The trigger is awesome. Um, it, it's this thing i mean you guys accomplished something here and that got me looking at Taurus. and now you guys are like focusing on innovation it seems like a gun company it's exciting like this gun if if you well I, number one if you like shooting and you don't like 22 you're a newbie mm -hmm. 22 is awesome it comes with a threaded barrel this model you can put and for me like until i get lasik i got to use a dot i can't even use iron sights anymore um but the trigger's great which is you know, unusual for a lot of 22s out of the box. High and I don't even care. Like, for me, 10 rounds is fine, but 16, it's mm -hmm. cooler when it's 22. Yeah, the fact that we can do the double stack is it's yeah. a cool feature. I mean, I, I, I've been in this a long time. I've never seen anybody do it reliably. So this is great. Well, it comes with three mags, too. Correct. I know. Taurus. They're not jipping mm -hmm. you. Like, that's cool. This gun is an accomplishment. And now you guys have some other new products out. Right. Um, it's exciting to see because to me, growing up in the industry, Taurus was really nothing to consider. And now, I mean, you guys are doing new stuff. Move from Miami up to Georgia. Yeah. And, you know, that's really not that I'm some savant with, with new product development. We have engineers that do this stuff and yeah. do it well. Um, but that was that was the motivating factor of bringing me in was to drive that. And that's what I love. And so, yeah, you know, that's where we're headed. We're, we're in a point with our brand where we're a very large gun company. We're one of the largest, if not the largest pistol producer in the world. Um, but we can also provide these guns that are, you know, not overtly expensive, but we can do better with the design and and keep them at a at an attractive price point and so that's what you're seeing with with this gun and and the others that oh this is an out. incredible value mm -hmm. what is like, the retail on that 
Uh, it's going to be, you know, Ballpark. low, low fours, oh, that's 429. Awesome. And I love that the red dot mounts right to the barrel hood. Oh, this is going to, it's out know. of necessity. Yeah. Know? I mean, it makes sense for a fixed barrel and all that. You yeah. Know, it's so a lot of the box, but it's, so it's not necessarily a fixed barrel, but it doesn't tilt. Okay. So it's a, it's kind of a unique, uh, design in that way, but oh, there's, with, a, there's a little movement. Yeah. It's not, it's not mounted to the frame is what I mean yeah, by yeah, that. But sure. you know, with a very lightweight aluminum slide mm-hmm. you put a one or two ounce optic on the slide oh, yeah in a traditional oh, red dot shit. mount it's not gonna it's not gonna work are there any other commercial pistols that do that yeah uh, not to my knowledge no that's awesome yeah man on the optic to the barrel i mean that's like uh well you know like browning did it with the little right uh 22 auto rifle yeah i mean y- you want to mount it to the barrel if at all possible right you know even on the the sig 210 which is an incredible pistol like the target versions in Switzerland early on had long barrels. The slides were the same, but they put the mm-hmm. front sight on the barrel. So mm-hmm. even getting one on the barrel is yeah. Yeah. better. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just an awesome package for the price. Yeah, I'm not having this reciprocate is, is great. Yeah. But um, yeah, for the price and the fun, oh my God. Yeah. Because uh, Ivana shoots 22s mm-hmm. constantly, like trying to get familiar, like learn more with pistols, mm-hmm. shoot, shoot. And you know, that makes you... I mean, Adam, you like all the time you spent at the SIG Academy and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like shooting a pistol just makes you way better at shooting everything. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, she shoots primarily like Hammerleys and, you know, expensive European mm-hmm. stuff. And she loves this gun, you know, because, I mean, she's not a snob about the industry, you know, to where, oh, she doesn't even realize like she's shooting like some $2,000 Hammerley pistol. Yeah. Like she, it's yeah. just like, oh, I just like this one the best. And then shoots this, and it's their favorite, and, and probably too because it holds a lot of rounds. So we, you know, mm-hmm. shoot still over at the property, and she can load up three mags, and she's got almost fifty shots there. Yeah. And we all grew up shooting, you know, Ruger Mark Twos and Mark Threes, oh, and yeah. now the Mark Fours and the Smith Model Forty Ones, and those are great guns, and I oh. love shooting them. They're a ton of fun. But in terms of teaching, you can't really get like for Ivanka, she can't get the true ergonomics of shooting a full size gun or a defensive pistol with you know a Smith Model Forty One. Right. But this, it'll really allow like you to a learn full from size. It. Well, yeah. Well, this yeah. is a modern gun, and all those others, you know, like the Ruger Mark One, Mark Two, Mark Three, Mark Four, that's modeled after the Luger. And you know, I bought her a Smith Model Forty One when she started shooting a lot. She shot it one time, and it was heavy. And she's just like, you know, it was expensive and stuff. So I, I kind of wanted one too because I never had one, could afford it. Now I get one. She's shooting twenty two. She shoots it one time, like one magazine, puts it down. She's like. That's yeah. not good. <laughs> and, you know, which was very interesting for someone like her who just loves shooting. She doesn't, like, give a shit about the companies or any of that stuff. And to her, but you're right. This is like, you, you know, the guns that she carries. Uh, like, uh, you know, it's like a Glock or, or a 320 or any striker fire gun. I'm sure you guys make them. Like, I'm not super familiar with mm-hmm. the center fire stuff. Um, but it is very familiar with modern handguns now, where the older stuff is, you know, that's World War II based. Mm-hmm. Right. And one thing I would say with, with this particular model, the engineers that designed this gun, they, they put everything on paper first and said, okay, what all do we, do we want to accomplish? So this gun so, was designed to be scaled up to a 9mm. They can build, you know, and we haven't done that yet or, mm-hmm. or you know, to be determined if we do or whatever but um it was it was thought through well enough that they built features in that wouldn't limit us in the future if we want to expand this 
Yeah, that's smart. Sure. Yeah. I mean, this is where you're involved, I imagine, because this is where I'm involved in our product development and stuff is in the beginning. You know, like Adam and I go through stuff and it's like, okay, before we talk to the engineers, what are the things that we want in this product? You know, because that's the shit they're going to say to us. So let's get it prioritized. Let's let's really be focused on the three or four things that we have to have. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, like let's back up what them – because they always develop some stuff we don't think about, I believe. Oh, all the time. It's an yeah. interesting approach, though, is you guys essentially built the trainer first. Yeah. Which, which you don't – nobody does that. Yeah. And, and, you know, I wasn't there when they built. Yeah. So I don't know yeah, yeah. what the motivating factor was on that. Um you know, other than we were already selling a lot of full size nine millimeters that are mm. made in Brazil, whatever. Um, you know, well, but what's interesting when you think about, you know, we'd all love to have the money uh, Ruger gets from the 1022. Oh, yeah. Right. So, you know, 22s, but I have seen with, you know, punks y'all's age that 22 became kind of not cool for a while. Like I hear, so like, like, calling, well, they're for, not my for friends. instance. For instance, for instance, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm still yeah. bear with me, guys. So, so he's still got his sunglasses on, so you're gonna get a couple <laughs> for instances. <laughs> so, a few years ago, you know, when Colin Noir, I, I when he had his NRA TV show and he came to the farm, I did his show and everything. And you know, uh, I, I had the whole walk in vault, like my whole gun collection was in there, so it was like a 20 by 40 room. And, you know, thousands of guns in there. And we shot machine guns, all this stuff. He had never shot a twenty two. I mean, this is when he's, you know, like the NRA spokesperson. and like so kind crazy. Of, yeah. And I got it, but he's just like, you know, to him. But he got into guns for a different reason to me. And I think like a lot of probably millennials get into guns like it's fucking cool. You're playing video games. It's self-defense. Fuck you. Like, to me, guns were just interesting. Like, I never thought of it in that way. And twenty twos were affordable. They're fun. You can shoot them anywhere with a silencer. They're silent. To him, it was lame. Like, he didn't even want to shoot one. Mm. And and I see that. And now it's it's like, I don't know, maybe it's just like the ammo scarcity where now even twenty two is $10 for a box of 50. People no, read 16, 16 cents around. 16 cents around on some yeah. Ely Club or something like that. You can actually find 22. If you can find it, yeah. Fairly easily today, though. Ely. Yeah, the day oh, after I bought some <laughs> other Ely. <laughs> I'm like scouring Sucker. the internet for Ely Club, and you're like, here's some free 10X. <laughs> well, thanks. Appreciate it. I know. So, But 22, I mean, I don't know how many rounds I've shot in my life, but it's probably... Because the majority of my adult life, my entire adult life, I've worked in the industry. For most of that time, I've owned a company where we're developing product. And the majority of that time, I have had property in my own range and or ranges. Um, And most of that time, I got free ammo from manufacturers or the military. So I've shot... I don't, I've shot a lot of, I've probably, I don't know how much round or how many rounds through belt feds, but hundreds of thousands of rounds just through belt feds, but probably half the ammo I've ever shot has been 22. Mm-hmm. Like I love it. I mean, I had the farm, like I shoot 22 every day. There's yeah. not a day that goes by. I don't shoot 22. There weren't too many days. I didn't kill something with a 22, but yeah. it's a great killing. Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, people, I mean, oh my God, with the silencer and this barrel comes threaded, we need to do a taper though. We need to get them to make a taper because, mm. you know, 90 degrees shoulder and silencers come loose. Yeah. But 22 um, is great, man. So, I mean, I see there's a huge market for it. I mean, teaching your women, teaching your kids to shoot. 
know. And we would you been. put a taper on a half twenty eight, or would you just go to metric thirteen and a half by one with the front taper? Because mm. mm. that already exists. Yeah, it's pretty good. It works. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, honestly, I would. I like the half twenty eight with a taper on the back because you can go reverse compatibility, like mm. we did with our Q mm. weapons, and you can just have a little taper adapter. Mm. But, but metric has taper on the front. If we didn't have pre-existing bullshit, mm-hmm. the metric thread with the taper on the front, the taper in the front's always better. Always. Yeah, you know, because, I mean, I preach that, and then, like, you know, the anonymous little girls, like, try to give me shit about it. It's like, well, yeah. it's always a compromise, you know? Sure. Like, you're trying to accommodate stuff that exists already. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the day, marketing makes a decision, which, you know, is probably what I, I do. Mm-hmm. Huh. Well, anyway... That thing's awesome. I appreciate it. It's yeah. getting shot. Like, it's not shot right now because it's so dirty. I got to clean it because it was shot a lot. You know what I'm saying, Ron? I know. So, I'm not totally familiar with the Taurus product line, but you said there's other handguns potentially in the future that mimic those ergonomics. Do you guys have anything similar now? Well, I know we, you have other pistols, but. Last week, we came out with our micro compact, mm. which is the, you know, traditionally would have been a single stack, nine millimeter, real, real thin gun. 11 round capacity, you know, um, that, you know, there's every big brand has, has, well, we're talking match. about like a, a 43 X, right. Three sixty-five. So striker fired. Yep. Yeah. Striker fired. And it does mimic a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Um, we are making them in Bainbridge down in, in South Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, Allah. yeah. And, and honestly, it's, it's the next step for our company. It's, yeah. it's, it is a high quality, Mm-hmm. pistol with the right features it's what we want our brand to stand behind similar to this um but maybe even more so mm-hmm. well I, I think if you guys got it as right i haven't seen it yet i mean it seems like you would bring me one since you came here but <laughs> if you, you sent me this so if I, but if it's after this i mean you guys are taking steps in the right direction yeah um okay well let me say the uh because Ivanka carries the uh, 43X. How many rounds is that, Adam? You probably know. Factory mag is 10, right? Oh, of course. Wrong is it though. the X or is it the 43 that... No, I carry that one. Okay. She carries the X. So, yeah, 10 rounds. 10 rounds. Yeah. Okay, what's the 365? 12, I think. 10 is the flush fit. And okay, then 12 yeah, yeah. is the, the extended. The extended. Yeah. But the, the, oh, so the you, you guys went to 11. <laughs> but the, ex- the, the extended has... It's not really a much bigger magazine. It just has a better... Uh, it's like a place pinky. for your pinky. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Watch it. Adam's very sensitive. No, I'm just trying there. to make sure everybody knows what's going on. And well, we have a very similar, yeah. you know, extension. So, so their extended version. Well, the is flush, the yeah, flush yeah. Oh, okay, bit cool. is yeah. 11. So you have some one-uppers. Oh, yeah, yeah. oh shit. I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't realize this. Now, <laughs> clearly intentional. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. I got to buy one Here now. Go. He's not going to send us yeah, one. Turn it up to 11. Like, yeah, I know. I Dude, have a feeling. If awesome. you guys don't do a t-shirt that says turn it up to 11, then... It's a missed oh, yeah. opportunity. He's probably so let young, me, he doesn't even know what that means. Write it down at least. I, I have a let feeling me, you'll have that. one showing yeah. up to your FFL <sighs> probably in this week. Dude, yeah. that's cool. I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll shoot. Just it. remember, one is none, two is one. Well, I've, right. I found out. So, <laughs> as a young kid, when I was probably about y'all's age, um, there was this little project that was going to take the world over, and it was called the SCAR program by FN. It was going to replace every M4 and every 308 gun in the arsenal. So, that kind of flopped a little bit. Um, however, I met. Olivier, who was an engineer at FN, he's a great guy. All we do is talk about fishing nonstop. So he he works with you now. Yeah, he, Olivier's our director of engineering. So he actually has. We're all getting older. He has a cooler uh, backstory than even you let on. He worked on the design of the MRAP. 
for General Dynamics. For real? Yeah. I didn't know he was there before yep. FN. And and so that was, uh, you know, that's kind of a cool thing to yeah. have your fingerprint on. Yeah. Um, but, you yeah, know, he, he does a great job. Because he was heavily involved, I know. He was involved. I met him in the SCAR program, but he was doing the FN pistols, which mm-hmm. they're still producing now. He was doing, the, I think, originally the hammer fire and then the striker fire gun. Yeah, and, you know, being being from Belgium, uh, obviously he's he's – got a great relationship or did with with the fn guys but um yeah funny guy great engineer absolutely fantastic engineer um and he does a great job of leading our our r&d efforts yeah and he truly dorks out on guns which yeah. i yeah. personally like i'm kind of I, I like that you're a gun dork I, you know i feel like hey, yeah. everyone here at this table we're all gun dorks but olivier he's on a different level he understands it in, in yeah a way that, yeah he's like a belgian ethan loves beer and is a dork and got exactly. a good personality Jesus, yeah a belgian ethan could you imagine <laughs> yeah <laughs> they, well they're buddies like they, oh, know, they each know each other, other. Okay. yeah yeah they yeah. know each other yeah um no he's awesome that, i know that made me so happy when you told me he was working with you yeah. guys and yeah he, he's in that new commercial for the gx gx4 is the four. new one yeah How did, I, I almost said three that's the new micro yeah okay correct. Ron, what are those fn pistols ron you'll know the names of them the hammer fire and then their strike fire. He, so Olivier worked on the FNX 45 tactical. Yeah. Uh, that was his big project. Oh yeah. When 45 which was, really, was going to be that, the new, I gun. mean, that was the gun that FN sold. They, they didn't yeah. sell many of the FNP, FNS, whatever striker fire guns. They sold that 45 big, uh, threaded barrel hammer yeah. gun. And for optics mounted yeah. defensive pistols, Correct. that was the first one that Correct. I really consider as like the first one to bring optics mounted yeah. you know pistols to the mainstream. I think that's right. That's yeah. cool. That's cool. I just put an optic on my uh, Glock nineteen. Oh, nice. I can't get used to it. Did it, Did you have an MOS slide already, no. or did you get a new no, slide I bought for it? it? Like a Zev slide or something? Yeah, Zev's good yeah. stuff. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I just got. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She hasn't even shot it. Yet. I got Ivanka the three sixty five, whatever it's called, mm. XL with mm. the optic on it already. The yeah. red dot because I I can't even use pistol sights anymore. But I still prefer irons. I just can't can't find the dot. You need it, to go do a. It's a like weird a Jedi class or mm, with uh, yeah. Aaron Cowan from Sage Dynamics. Oh, they're yeah. doing. He, uh, well, they're, and Aaron, you know Aaron from Atlanta, probably. but he's mm. probably doing the best. You know, one of the best pistol optics. It's hard when you've shot pistols a lot. Like, like, I don't know, folks, the target front sight comes up. And Mm -hmm. then, like, I find myself thinking the dot's not going to be there unless I swim around for it. Yeah. Well, it's a training thing. So hopefully the the ergonomics of the gun will will point that dot in the right direction. But, you know, if you're looking at the target and you just superimpose that dot and you, you have to kind of train your mind not to focus on looking for the front sight like mm-hmm. you would traditionally. Yeah. That's what I can't get over. If you're looking uh. at the, at the target and you superimpose the dot and just trust that it's, mm. y- you'll, you'll be better off. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, even when I was doing a lot of work, you know, with uh, a lot of the tier one groups, the guys that really train shoot a lot and, I traditionally used a name point, you know, like on, on all my, my carbines. I, I like the aim point. They're very durable, battery life, all this, relatively lightweight. And during my time, like working with them, and, and yeah, I would get to shoot with them a lot, and they would teach me stuff. I get to train some. They started going to EOTech, and that's when the, you know, like this group was responsible for the battery position, you know, changing to being, you know, perpendicular to the bore axis and stuff. And, and you're like, oh, you know, like I saw the original prototypes of that because they're like, well, you know, 
you shoot this much, the batteries like disconnect and it causes problems. So we just chain, got them to change the battery to perpendicular. Anyway, and I'm like, oh, it's big and it's heavy and all this shit. And they're like, it's faster. Like hmm. everyone that shoots, and especially if you're shooting moving targets, the circle with the dot is faster. It's faster. Hmm. And I'm like, nah, I don't know that thing. It's heavy. It sucks. Like I like the same point. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's same thing when they put one on my gun. Yeah. You know, like my time improved my very first run. Yeah. Like shooting with it. And it is if you more get used visually to it, pleasing, I think. Well, it's it. A I circle mean, with the dot. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just shooting with a dot from iron sights, you know, it's just, I think it's just evolution. You go from like the iron sights to, you know, mm-hmm. now we go the dot, circle with the dot. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's going to be better on pistols. The aim points, I get the big starburst from my stigmatism. Yeah. Yep. With the mm-hmm. EOTech, I don't have that. So, oh, for real? Yeah. Huh. I'm a big fan of Trigicon, yeah. so not sure. hating on Trigicon at all, but Hollow Sun has that circle with a dot mm-hmm. in their little uh, mm-hmm. pistol mounted red dots and that makes a huge difference that's what i'm carrying hmm. on my defensive gun right now and yeah. a wholesome yeah a wholesome, believe honestly their pistol dots are are something <sighs> they've else. come a long way i'm They're mad, I'm mad big at deal. they were gonna send me something for like the last year like whoever's in charge of that place like text me like once every month oh sorry blah blah blah. it's going out today and haven't gotten one so yeah. i don't know well i'm mad hopefully somebody from Holosun will listen to this podcast. <laughs> no. we, we can make a phone call yeah <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, well, yeah, the circle, but that's cool because I think the circle with the dot, you know, like I wanted to push away the EOTech, like yeah. didn't like it, like even aesthetically, I'm like it's ugly. Like, so we're talking, it's fast. The last podcast we were talking about EOTech being the only company not doing a pistol dot right now. Yeah, it's crazy. What's up with that? Do you have any insight? No, no. I don't. Because you, you, you know, know everyone, Ron. They they did, uh, you know, they did the insight merger years and years yeah, yeah. and years ago. And so insight does technically do oh, a little know. MRDS, but yeah, but um, not commercially, right? Uh, they did offer it commercially, oh, but yeah. nothing that was anything that really took to the market and in their defense back when they were doing it, pistol mounted red yeah. dots were not a huge thing or not. Whereas now mm. it, you know, Taurus even uh, took some heat for releasing that GX four without the pistol mounted slide. But you know, in that, I don't know if you're allowed to say if it's coming. No, yeah, no, we we but have we have the gun ready. We're waiting on import oh, permit for the parts, but yeah, you know, so we, you, we have the gun. You're saying that the first one didn't offer, it didn't accommodate a red dot. No, and now people are, you know, but that's, now the market basically dictates that if you release a gun, it has to be optics ready. Yeah, but if you were to split your customer base, and you maybe you know better because you guys do handguns, what are most people using? Red dot or iron sights? Probably still irons. Still irons. You, you know what it is? It's like a lot of things we encounter. The assholes are the only ones online. It's the loud ten. <laughs> it's the loud ten, loud ten percent. Yeah. 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 No, sense. but I mean, honestly, the red dot pistol optics are are becoming a bigger and bigger thing. They're already a big thing, but they are becoming bigger and bigger. I mean, my prior company, uh, the last project I worked there was the new. PDP that Walther released, which is a, a fantastic gun. But one of the changes they made after I left was every gun is, is optic ready. Really? So when we did the spec sheet, we did, you know, probably 30 something different spec sheets of different models Jesus. Uh, that I finalized before, before we left uh, or before I left, but they, they decided to get rid of all of the non optic ready versions and just do. Only oh, they don't even ready. offer one. Now. Correct. Which I think, you know, for that gun, I think it's the right move. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, once be, I think people just want that ability. It's like when you get into modularity, people want that uh, feature, even if they're going to use it or not. If I'm it's not like going to put it on for there, a car, though. like ludicrous mode, like your car has that. People want it for just because it's there. It's not practical. You say that. <laughs> I only drive in ludicrous mode. Really? Pirates life, man. In, in our <laughs> pants, we have a ton of. Uh, in our pants and in our shirts, everything <laughs> we, we have a we have, we have a ton of different spots where you can hide like handcuff keys and yeah. you know tuck in Kevlar thread yeah. and all the cool stuff that yeah. you would want to do to like get out of if you're ever detained. Ninety nine percent of our customers no never way. ever use it for anything like that, but they yeah. love having it there, cool. and it's cool to be able to do it if you're yeah, traveling internationally. I, I guess I mean for me working with engineers for so long, if I'm not going to put a dot on a pistol, mm. I do not want the five extra parts on the gun because mm. something's mm. going to go wrong. And, yeah. and the like machine you, and it, the machine time that goes into the slide, and you know, engineers oh, are yeah. What a consumer doesn't understand is the engineer is thinking of how to make the thing mm. also typically. Yeah, oh, and yeah. so good ones you are. know, yeah. And so, you know, exactly. how much how much engineering is going into milling out this slide if if somebody's not going to use that? Well, and, on, and on a small gun like our new GX4, you know, half the people probably will not use, and, and it's so thin that most like a, a traditional RMR is probably too wide. And so, you know, there's there is the the red dot market is catching up to those small micro compact pistols but there's only three or four options for a, yeah. a, a dot that's less than an inch wide. Yeah. And so, you know, we have it, it's coming, uh, but we know that probably half, at least half of the people are not going to use that. It is a thing. Once it's in call of duty and John Wick uses one, you're screwed. Yep. I mean, sometimes it works in your favor, holler, honey badger, but. Yeah, overall, well, once you see that, you got to do it. People expect it. I get it. That's being a big company, man. You got to deal with that stuff. Yeah, big companies, both you guys, big companies. It's like, it seems like a nightmare. It's exciting wow. though. W- Warren Buffett's not my boss, like like you this know. guy. So. He, ain't, he ain't my boss either. <laughs> so. he, he is my boss. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> he is. is he? D- does he? He probably doesn't hunt or shoot or anything. He doesn't. I, to hunt. my knowledge, no, none mm-hmm. of that. You sent me this backpack. This thing. Which I don't even have that backpack. That's classy. I have have almost everything. This is good. That's a classy bag. I know. I loved it. I actually think I stole it from your friend. You gave it to him and I took it, right? Yeah. So when (laughs) Kevin was visiting us in uh, in Jackson Hole, I'd given that to my buddy, Elliot. uh, Elliot from Silencer Shop. And and he just said, hey, I'm I'm taking that home with me. Yeah, I I love this bag. That's where I've seen that bag. Yeah. It was in some pictures. Yep. Okay. It, it looks classy <laughs> and everything, but it'll hold a honey badger. It holds all my stuff. So this is um, Ivana's range bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looks nice. It's nice. It doesn't look like a gun thing. There's all yeah. kinds of I like it with the little leather patch on it. Yeah. It makes I it know, look not yeah, oh yeah. tactical at all. I've only, it, I've not taken it off because of you, because for me, I would generally not have that because it just adds weight. You right. know, I'm trying yeah. to be lightweight. But yeah, the leather patch makes it look. Better. It, it yeah. actually looks more granola than oh yeah than tactical, which is what we like, try to do. Yeah, know, LL yeah. Bean or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's very nice. I like it. Who has a better warranty, LL Bean or Vertex? So written probably Eddie, Eddie Bauer. Bean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's, <laughs> it's hard to beat Eddie Bauer or LL Bean. But well, yeah, I mean, they've, they've got a lot of experience. Yeah. Yeah. Here, <laughs> but at, at Vertex, I can say one thing that's cool about us is it's been around for you know, 11, 12 years now for products that have been out in the civilian marketplace. If you send something back, yeah. 
I don't know that we've ever turned anything back nice. okay. ever. That's so nice. Yeah. So Elvin had to change their policy because it was like uh, people sending boots unlimited. back for a hundred like years. They'd go to the thrift shop, buy a bunch of Elvin shit, and bring it to the factory or the uh, outlet and replace oh. it. Oh, because they don't check for it's receipts all, or it's anything. A, it's always the one percent of assholes that mess yeah. things up. Yep. You got to make new rules. Yeah. I don't. I hate that. And that might not be true. What I said, but but that's what I heard. I bet you're right. I mean, it, I mean, right. it sounds like something people would do. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. So. Good return policy. What are, what are the biggest hurdles for you guys? Like, it seems very difficult to me offering clothing, sizes, fashion, trends, like all this crap. What's the stuff? So we just launched our new uh, women's line, um, which we're very excited about. But when, you know, especially in, like, the female body can be very unique from one body uh, type to another. Really? In guys. But tell uh, us about real, this. Real, real quick, the Sandy boys you're wearing right now are female, correct? Yes. These you are want female to stand cut. Up and yeah, these are our, uh, our our jeans that you were showing off. Actually, those those khaki colored jeans, which we call Sandy Boys, and uh, they're they're very slim, which I enjoy. <laughs> Tommy likes slim. All about it. Tommy's got those nut huggers on right now. And yeah, <laughs> he doesn't have hips though, so the Tommy girls might be beyond slim. <laughs> yeah, but that's the biggest challenge is the different uh, body types. Is you know, like you, you got body types like Tommy, and then you got body types like Brett, which you know his he's got. Got a big old tail on him, and, uh, <laughs> and the hips don't lie. As, yeah. as they say. They don't. and so yeah. that's a that's a big challenge for our product development team is coming up with all those different uh, you know different pants that come that fit all Se- different types of folks. Seems very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Clothing seems oh, it's like owning a newspaper or a restaurant. It seems difficult. Yeah, you can't make everybody happy with with everything. So no, you just no, gotta, no, no. You just got to appeal to the masses. That just like hard. the pistol mounted. Red dot. I know. What, are, are most of your sales offline? Are are you guys uh, like focused heavily in retail or like uh, brick and mortar or what's the deal? Yeah. So we we do everything we can to make sure that we support um, brick and mortar as as best as you possibly can in in this day and age. So so who's typical brick and mortar customer for Vertex? The end user or for no no the 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 retailer. So if you were to walk into your local gun shop, our our goal is if you were to walk into a gun shop and buy a honey badger, we want that same oh. retailer to offer you a bag where your honey badger can go inside of. Um, which like this one, you dang. said, which that exact bag right there. I'm Look glad you had blue. that. Yeah, on standby, ready I know, to grab. I did because my honey badger goes in it. But uh, you know, you got to think for a guy like me. I live in an apartment. I've always lived in kind of more of a downtown setting, and that's what I prefer. Um, but I don't want to walk out to my bag with a big black Molly tactical oh, range bag where everybody knows. So if I walk out with a bag like that that has bright blue on it, mm-hmm. nobody's going to expect it to be a gun there like, at all. That guy's definitely on his way to Starbucks. Right. Yep. Hipster, yeah. Because yeah. it's even. What, what do you call this when it's like a sling, like a messenger bag? Oh yeah, yeah, messenger yeah, so, bag. So yeah, you get this strap. Yeah, yeah. This is nice. Does not look like it's carrying a gun. And you know, uh, some of our bags now we've even eliminated. There's a Velcro strip at the bottom of that, but on a lot of our bags we've even eliminated the Velcro on it at all. And if you look at the bags, there's no branding on it, so it doesn't say Vertex, and there's very little indications of what brand it is, which mm-hmm. is tough for our marketing team because. People see it and they're like, "Oh, that's oh. a cool bag. How do I buy that?" Well, they got it on the inside. zipper. Inside, it's yeah. On the zipper, if you know what you're looking for. Exactly. Yeah. 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 This has lots of pockets. This will actually carry two guns. Um, yeah. Put my pistol in here. Put the honey badger in the big pocket. You got this quick opening feature. What's this? This big tag. That's what that's for. Yes, yeah, so that's meant to look like a luggage tag, but from a tactile aspect and visually, it's unique. So you can always grab that, whether it's in the dark or wherever. 
and rip that bag open. Thomas's pants probably have that if I had to guess. <laughs> mm. Today's episode of the Live Cure Die podcast brought to you by Tactical Distributors. Unpossible 15 gets you 15% off all this great stuff. A reversible coat, sweet ass t-shirt, and they just sent me these summer shorts. Oh my God. Can we get this out of here? We can. So, these shorts, they're breathable. The boys, they're cool as hell. They're short. They're not too short. They're not too long. They're not Daisy Dukes. They're not Dirty Dukes. They're just right. So, Unpossible 15 gets you 15% off flip-flops, bags, shirts, pants, everything you need. They got those panties. What are those? Uh, the, the, the tactical brief things. They're so comfortable, and your junk comes right out when you need to take a pee. Holla. Tons of other questions, but I was thinking this morning, you know, where I was in the shower shaving my bald head, where I do a lot of my thinking, thinking about you guys, and I was genuinely excited thinking about, you know, just young people. When we had Nate from Begara here, like, I think he's mm-hmm. my age, a couple years younger, also CO, doing a great fucking job. Mm-hmm. That company's doing great. I like it, and I talked about it in the last podcast, like, on the latest uh, trip to Africa, which I, want, I know you guys don't want to get into this. But where I realized I'm the oldest guy. And like that changed overnight. I was the youngest guy. There were no young people in the industry. Bam. No, you young guys. I love it. I'm so happy about it. I'm not angry. I'm no hater. Kevin Brigham, not a hater. Not anonymous and not a hater. So I, I would say not a cunt cake. Oh, yeah. Like your uh, little cup there. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Nate, Nate keeps emailing me by accident. I guess they have another Adam at their office. <laughs> <laughs> what an old man thing to do. Hey, he should learn, yeah. dumbass. Stay off email like me. Then, then I can't fuck up. Yeah. I'm meeting him for beers on, on Friday, so maybe I'll oh, yeah. I'll let him know. Oh, he knows. Oh, God. You should get Adam to print all those out and like, take <laughs> yeah. them to him or something. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, Nate, what a great guy. He is... I, I was just so excited. Yeah. And great product, which... I yeah. always appreciate. Mm-hmm. And I love the timing. It's kind of what we talked about yeah. earlier. Like Taurus, a big company. They're not doing a lot of things. You know, now Taurus doing a lot of things. And you see these big companies making mistakes. And it's like a big company, Remington, just could not step. You know, they're stepping on their own titties every time they did something. And Begara. So it's great timing, great product, you know, great initiative. And, you know, unapologetic about it. Yeah. Like, I love it. Ben Fleming is a guy that I know at. And he's, you know, talk about a guy that's super passionate about hunting and he lives it and, you know, breathes it. And he is also one of, those guys. One of the nicest dudes you'd ever meet. Yeah. Really? I mean, yeah. That's what I thought of Nate when I met yeah. him. It's like almost makes me feel bad about myself. They're so nice. <laughs> <laughs> like I want to find something wrong with them. Hey, speaking of something also like chasing the squirrel unrelated, I want to give props to a company that does nothing for us. I just bought one of their scopes, paid retail for it. So I'm not totally happy about that. You know who does a great job with marketing that I did not, un- I didn't oh. even realize until one of you guys. I know who you're going to say. One of you yeah. told me. Vortex. Man, those hunting, that hunting commercial where the guys compete in the office. It's like the office TV their, show. Their marketing is great. Yep. Did you? I didn't even know about any of this until recently. Have you guys seen those? 
Brett is not allowed to give any compliments to oh, Vortex well, because yeah, of his. Uh, sure. No, I can. He is appre- sworn to. I can appreciate. <laughs> what I can appreciate what they're doing now. Yeah. Obviously, when I worked oh, for Loophole, I that seemed very you know, snotty. Per my <laughs> no, I, well, no, that's not what I mean. But yeah. you know, I'm I'm a I'm a homer when it comes to scopes with with Loophole because I work there and I love the people. But I mean, you can't. Me too. You can't fault. Hey, fuck Vortex. Vortex. They've never did. given me anything. Loophole <laughs> hooks me up. Yeah. yeah. The home, home team. We'll probably step up their marketing game, though, man. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah, Vortex I actually did give us oh, something shit. for the mystery shirt. I'm so winner. sorry, <laughs> they did. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I knew they were awesome. They See, yeah. Yeah. giving them compliments, didn't even know. And you look yeah. at companies like Vortex; they went into an industry that was a huge, you know, you know, big dollar industry, and they disrupted the entire thing. They by did, going and they sucked in the beginning. Yeah. but they had they had the 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 big dick confidence. Yeah, and they've done great things. And they cut out distribution, which. Now you have almost every single major optic company looking at it and saying, hey, maybe we should adjust our business model. That's, a, that's another interesting they're, question. They're able to bring a higher higher value product, higher quality product at a lower price point if they cut out all those people. Right. It makes a lot of value. sense. Yeah. Do, do, that's do you agree key. with that? Do we think Vortex is offering good quality product, Vortex hater over there? For the most part, Yes. Oh, that sounded like I such a lie. I, no, I, I I think they're they're higher in scopes. So I have a I I prefer American made if it's apples to apples. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm I'm all in on the loophole train because I've seen the equipment and the, all that. I have no experience with Vortex's uh, American made product, and I think it's pretty few and far between. Yep. You know, there's not a ton of it out there. Um, but you know, when you get into red dots and shit like that, you're, you're, you're not, you're not getting American made really in, unless the Delta point pro, um, that's really only, that's it. Maybe that's a great point. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to buy one of their Philippine made or Japanese made scopes. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm totally Nothing against it. Well, I'm a high end optic slut now like there's no going back for me like once you get used to you know high-end stuff with optics especially there's a difference i was on a prairie dog hunt you know years and years ago and i could never up until then i'd never really understood the difference between mm-hmm. the price in a pair of you know louisville binoculars and swarovskis and then you start picking out blades of grass several hundred yards away and that's when you realize like oh the clarity in this makes a huge difference yeah um and that's why you spend the thousands of dollars for suaro over anybody else that's making binox uh, a prairie dog shoot is really one of the best tests of of optics in general um it's for for binoculars if you're looking through binoculars all day long like that if they're not great binoculars, you're going to have a headache after a couple hours. Oh, that's how you judge it. And just from trying to focus. Yeah. Just, it, it does something with your eyes. Hmm. And it's a tan color animal yeah. on yeah. tan sand trying or to pick you up know, the contrast. It, yeah. Yep. And, and absolutely Swarovski's are, that's where they pay off. Um, you know, and there's, there's obviously other instances, but looking through a rifle scope and shooting prairie dogs and everything, you know, y- you're going to also be able to see, what the optics worth yeah some of the um so one of the tier one groups i did a lot of work with back in the day um they were very loyal to Leopold as well but they did a lot of r&d and they wanted american made and i don't think they wanted a lot of the stuff because they could fund a lot of stuff they didn't want it being foreign 
and um, you know they de- developed things like that. Was it a Mark Six, the three to eighteen, the first one, mm-hmm. and stuff like that? And I remember they were at my farm, and at a thousand yards, they tied different colors, but not vastly different, like uh, rope to a tree was one thing. We did it, and then you got down behind the optic, and you're trying to look and pick things out. And, and there's, like, all these kind of strange tests that, for them, was, like, real-life scenario stuff that really mattered, you know. Because there's developing the product, the engineer's telling you something, then you go out in the field, and can you use it, and does it do right. what you're trying to do? Um, so, yeah, and that's where I learned. I was like, oh, I thought I had really nice scopes. And I was like, oh, God, my stuff's all garbage. I can't even see those ropes on the tree. Right, and actually to add to that, not that I really can, but outside of the R&D area of Loophole, there are resolution charts with different colors and shapes and you know yeah. whatever, but most people don't have, especially if you're behind the counter at a gun store, you don't have the yeah. benefit of looking through the scope at that at that moment. So yeah. putting it into practice, I think, is, yeah. is a good thing. And I love it all. I mean, I think there's a place for like cheap red dots and, and affordable optics. You know, with everybody, when I was a kid, you know, no, you had one AR. You know, now everybody's got 10 ARs or whatever. You know, there's places for different levels of that. But if it's a gun you use a lot or you're going to go on a nice hunt, like spend the money on the optic. Mm-hmm. Like even go with a lesser gun, better optic. I mean, it, it still holds true, I believe. Um, what else? I see your shirt. Can I ask another question first? Oh, God damn, yes. Well, if you could not interrupt this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, per my previous be. email, could you not interrupt? Per my previous joke. No, we were talking about optics, and then earlier we were talking about 22. What would you guys recommend for a reasonably affordable scope for, like, a precision 22? I've got a Bergara B14R rifle on its way. So, like, social is, is media? weight a factor? or? I mean, it's always something to consider, but... Weight's a big thing for me. I really like, you know, Leupold does that ultralight... Um, that two to seven, and that's a the freedom line. Or they now do, well, I think now it's they do the freedom. freedom. Yeah. But I would also look at you know if you want something. It depends on what you're doing with the twenty. Yeah, what are you going to do know, with it? it? Depends. You shoot like, in your yard. It's one thing. You want to reach out three hundred meters. Or something NRL. Well, they you got know. like a lot of twenty two precision matches popping yeah. up around here. So, so maybe yeah. look at the Mark three hmm. line, which is kind of the affordable okay. tactical scope it has turrets okay. uh, it's a 30 millimeter meter tube i believe mm-hmm. also he'll want an ultra fine reticle though i don't know yeah. if they're doing that in the mark three uh, i mean i think you could you could probably get a um tmr i just reticle. use ultra fine and ultra light in very mm-hmm. you should get close ultra, proximity. ultra scope yeah 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 super ultra but i run a uh, zeiss on my like a, a just a standard zeiss three to nine mm-hmm. on my uh, 22 that I like to reach out with. Yeah. Um, and that, that just tends to work well for me. But the good part is you can go fairly, people will roast me for this on the internet, mm. but you can go fairly inexpensive on your optic yeah. for a 22 because it doesn't have to hold up to as much of a beating. Back of the shirt. Sorry. No. No, I was just <laughs> trying to decide if I was going to correct you guys on this whole optic talk. Well, let's hear it. What do you think? Let's hear it. Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, well, it depends. In the yard, I like, if I'm only... What do you have on yours? Depends on which one, what I'm doing. Your Bergara. So if it's, uh, I have a, a Mark VI 3 to 18 <laughs> with an H59 <laughs> reticle. <Yeah>. Overkill. <laughs> well, no. If I could, I it, would. It is because yeah. like when you think of it, if, if if it's in the yard and I just want to shoot a squirrel, like a red dot or the little, little pole rimfire scope's great. Um, 
But with a twenty-two, you know, like shooting a three, and this isn't exactly right, but shooting to, to like three hundred meters with a twenty-two is like shooting to a thousand with three hundred eight. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So I can use the reticle. Um, so it's good training in that regard because you know, like it's twenty-two, super affected by wind, like all these great things. Um, so shot correction, I can do it on my own because you know there's no recoil, so I can see impact correct quickly. So reticle plays a big part to me, and I like to, I don't know, you know. Most of the time when I'm shooting my 22, it's not like I'm, you know, doing a spot and stalk and might have to shoot like offhand. Like I'm generally like prone or on my tripod and like waiting for a squirrel to hit the corn pile. Yeah. I, I know mid quarantine, I was going crazy just sitting in the house and, uh, there's a lot of really good 22s right now where you can reach out and shoot and it's challenging. Like you were saying, you know, 22 at 300 is mm-hmm. the same as shooting kind of center fire at a thousand and, uh, like voodoo. Mm-hmm. Um, is doing a really good oh, yeah. like precision, but you 22. need to be able to dial in like you need like a twenty right. MOA mount, like yeah. you need because you know you're pointing at the top of trees trying mm-hmm. to hit target on the ground. Yeah, and and you were talking about the H fifty nine reticle on yours. Yeah, you know sometimes those Christmas tree reticles are kind of effective, and as long as you can figure out where your holds are on that stuff, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. But uh, that was my therapy through a lot of quarantine was just going to the range first thing in the morning. And it, you didn't feel so bad about shooting a hundred rounds of 22 long rifle, but sure. you were getting the same challenge out of it. And it was the same amount of like, I mean, 20, 22, even at a hundred meters is tough. Like people think, Oh, you say whatever you want. Like I've killed a lot of animals at a hundred yards with a 22, go shoot some groups with a 22 at hundred yeah. yards. Like it's a, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I think for that, <laughs> that application, you also need to kind of decide if you, you want to keep it long range or if you're going to bring it into let's say 10 meters sure. or something because yeah. then your, your parallax adjustment or your yeah. side focus whatever becomes important and they make specific scopes for close up yeah whether they're air gun scopes offset or, or delta point pro yeah that too yeah well bush Bushnell, and i don't know they make they don't make great scopes i don't know but they have a uh they make okay. some reasonable stuff they've got a six to 24 with a christmas tree reticle of some sort and 10 yard parallax oh nice yeah. for real yeah for there five, you go. 500 that bucks be, that's probably a great optic for that it. honestly yeah. yeah brett knows we we both know folks mm. if you, uh, mm. if you i think wrong. bushnell makes some, some pretty good stuff i mean like i've got one of the didn't they do a tactical scope a few years ago it was like a three something the 21 or something they did what? that one to oh no it was uh millet that did that one to six tactical donut which same company basically but malay i don't know i don't yeah. know it. but Bushnell Sounds did. Fact, fancy. They, <laughs> what was that? I'm trying to think of what that series was called. I forget. Um, the Hammer or something. Was that them? No. HMR. So Bush Bushnell no, has the Elite oh, uh, Elite Tactical. Oh, tactical Elite or Elite yeah. Tactical, yeah. It's like 10 years ago because I have yeah. one of those with a horse reticle on a 22 as well. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. It's their Match Pro, they call it. I mean, but yeah, just speaking from experience, it's not going to be worse than the high-end vortex or the mm-hmm. high-end whatever you know it's yeah. probably overthinking it for 22 they're 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 reliable scopes that are borrow they, one they, of mine stick mm-hmm. it on there see what you think yeah. Yeah. all right so back Just to this shirt take the mark five there yeah uh no do not touch that please per my previous email leave that on that gun Don't please. Touch <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um so half by 28 5a's 24 
et cetera, et cetera. Silent. Is that Silence Your Shop? Silence Your Shop. This is from my fiance, Elliot. Elliot. And uh, <laughs> our homie. <laughs> yeah, oh, I should have worn mine today. You wore, wore your Yellowstone, Yellowstone shirt, you which is basically like us, you know. But I, I pulled it out. I have the America, like states that don't suck. I pulled it out of the closet, the hanger I was going to put it on, and then I was like, oh, I think I wore this one already. And I saw this was behind it. And we, you know, you and That's I our bond. met and yeah. bonded there. So, I mean, um, so silencers, you have any silencers? I do. Yeah. But I need to, you know, we, we've been talking about going forward with, uh, yeah. You know, I, did we, one of those you director point is you, I, I, I need to take you up on that. Oh, so I offered, but you, you, you've offered several times but and you, you have some. So what's your experience with silencers? You have any, you've used them. When were you exposed to them originally? What do you think? So I was very fortunate I started my career at the beginning of 2007 and I was at a, you know, a class three dealer and really at the time. So you started working at a gun shop. Yeah. That's, that's how I started professionally in the industry, working the counter. And that's back when, you know, the NFA process was way different than it is now. And it was actually way less approachable than it is now. Silencer shop has made it most um, innovative company in our industry. uh, Oh yeah. They've made it to where it's so easy now, but back then it was a whole thing. And the way that our shop, the the shop owner, his name is John Ritz. And he kind of made up this whole white glove experience where, you know, you could come in and they would, you know, our shop would walk you through the entire process for buying NFA items. Yeah. And that's where I first got exposed to it. And so people would come in and while they were waiting for their, form fours to process we had an indoor range and uh we would let them shoot their silencers while they were in jail you know while they were in atf jail and uh that's that that was my first experience um with silencers was back then before then i had never even i thought they were illegal you know i mean i was a i was a teenager i thought they were illegal i thought you couldn't get them i thought it was something that only for the military or assassins or whatever you know and um, relatively new to all of that. And then that's, that's where I really got exposed to it. And man, we sold a pile of AAC back then. And that's when you were still, yes. uh, with the company, but that was probably our favorite, um, suppressor brand. And really uh-huh. the, the, the big ones were AAC and Gemtech. Those yeah. were the, the huge ones back then. Yeah. Um, and nobody else was really doing nearly as much volume as those two companies were. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. What were the, were some other silencer companies? YHM. YHM. Yeah. Uh, was doing some. Oh, were they that old? They, they're then, yeah. I don't. Watch I don't them. remember yeah. when they start. Oh, it was okay. So they were pretty brand new if they were then. But the um, Gemtech Halo was mm-hmm. a big deal back then. Mm-hmm. The uh, AWC was still around, but they were fading. There was uh, SRT was a company out in Arizona garage, one man shop that made some stuff. Uh, SWR, okay. our buddy Joe Gadini. Yeah, he was around, but smaller. Um, Jonathan Arthur Senior was still making dog shit, but was around. Um, I mean, he actually even did some innovative things, like he was using aluminum on fifty caliber silencers. So, um, God, who else was around then? There weren't a, uh, John Weaver, who I think died at Daytona on a motorcycle crash. But he he was making some stuff then. So everybody was kind of in the garage, like a garage shop for the most part. There was like us and Jim Tech. That were really, Those were the big ones. Yeah. And far. then and then Silencer Co. probably came along a year or two after that. They really didn't become big on the scene. I, I would oh, say no, it was like twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen is when they really became like a, See, I was a big thing. 11, 13, yeah. Yeah, probably about then because I, I guess, you know, it was basically 
Oh, God, I don't remember when I was fired. So I sold in 09, so December 24th of 2011. So, yeah, they were, we were several times bigger than Silencer Co. at the time. And then Silencer Shop started, yeah, God, I don't even remember. I'm getting so old now, but man, they have innovated stuff, made the process so much easier. Because even when I owned Advanced Armament, most gun stores thought silencers were illegal. Right. I mean, that, that was always the battle, which is an interesting thing for me now because my business was always like a pull. Educate consumers and like, you know, when I started is like really when the internet was kind of becoming a thing and there were forums and you could reach people directly like you can now. Like everybody takes it for granted with social media. You can reach your consumer instantly now. Yeah. Like that was not the case years ago. I always think about longtime customers of yours. Like, you know, we talked about Aaron Hagen from Montana Tactical and yeah. he's been doing business with you since, you know, the early 2000s or the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, same Guys thing with Jim McLeod here. Oh, and yeah. man, he's one of my first customers. At man. White Birch? Well, no, Manchester. At, uh, well, now it's Shooter's, Shooter's Outpost. Shooter's Outpost, yeah. But yeah. he owned the Manchester Firing Line or whatever. Mm-hmm. He was one of my first customers in like 1994 or 5. And you think about guys that have been loyal to you over all those years, you know, not that you give favoritism and allocation and all that, but I can understand how companies, you know, I mean, those have if been Jim your needs from some, back in the day. If yeah. Jim needs something and he texts me, he generally gets it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that's a cool thing about our industry is it's still very much like, hey, my granddaddy hunted with your granddaddy, and so we do business together, and I'll always trust you because of that. And Do we all think the industry is that way? And, like, why is that? It's, it's because we're so picked on? I, yeah, that, that actually might have or a lot to do with it. It's like it's because the way you bonded with your granddad or your dad or your uncle or whatever when you were young. Like, you know, how do you get into shooting? Like most people, it's not like me, they're probably exposed to it through, because you're probably exposed to guns and hunting from your dad, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Uh, not so much. No? Probably more just kind of stumbled into like high school buddies going and shooting skeet or five standard sporting yeah, clays, whatever, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, after football practice, oh, you know. Yeah. I've still never done that skeet or anything like that never oh man no. yeah you probably Spawn. should you, you, you yeah, know it's a good agree. time yeah it's a good time. You, you know sporting clays i'm gonna say the greatest sporting clay shooter in the entire world and that's an exaggeration but not far from it bill frame and I, mm-hmm. I think i've told the story before so accusport mm-hmm. which, which mm-hmm. now is defunct unfortunately bill frame was one of my favorite people in the industry you know when his grandfather was the founder of the yellow pages so and they sold like at the right time like they sold for like $800 million before they were billionaires. So Bill, he, I don't know, he's probably 15 years older than me or so, um, grew up pretty privileged. And, you know, and he went all through, like, he was younger in the family. He grew up, goes through college, goes to work at the Yellow Pages, and they sell it within like a year or so. And yeah. so, but he lived a pretty privileged life. And, and, and some of this is probably not true, but this is the way I remember it. So, some like former Olympian, you know, is who taught him how to shoot shotguns. And my man was so cool. So he lives now, I think, and had a house that I've stayed at a couple times on Bray's Island there, South Carolina. And that's all they pretty much do. <laughs> and this is a dude, he's got a lot of money. 
And um, he has like a browning, like a $1,500 shotgun. And everybody that lives on that island shoots. They bird hunt and they shoot sporting clays and everything every day. And they all have, you know, like parazzis or whatever, some expensive shotgun. And, you know, and even when we went, somebody like made a joke about it when we were like went to shoot and he like laughed and he's like, yeah, I tell him as soon as somebody here can beat me and I never shot with him, I'll buy a more expensive gun. But like, why am I to him? It was great that no matter what everyone else did and spent on their gun, he could be drunk and shoot with that cheap gun and beat everyone. And he shot the entire course doing trick shots. Behind the back, from the hip, over his head, over, yeah. every single shot. And I was like, oh, my God. And he's like, yeah, you know. And then he, he told me later, he's like, you know, I was trained from the time I was young. And this was like my shooting instructor, he told me at the time. And he's like, you know, I've just shot like a million rounds. So he's like, you know, like I can outshoot everyone. He's like, you know, when you learn to do something when you're six years old, you're way better than when you learn when you're 40. Yeah. And, uh, but it was so cool to go with him. He'd be like, you think I can shoot that one behind my back? You know, he'd like, let it run. He'd watch it. Yeah. I'd be like, I don't know, man. He'd do it. And <laughs> yeah, shoot it behind it. I was like, good Lord. You'd take me like eight shots. You didn't, you didn't make it for the sock F, uh, no sporting clays. Man, do you normally do that? No, well, I've done it once or twice, but no, I mean, I tell you, honestly, after I watched Bill frame do that and I was so like humbled and humiliated yeah, that like, I'm why, like, why, I, why I don't try. ever want to shoot sporting clays again there's a spot down the road called the preserve in rhode island and we should go there and they have one of the nicest sporting clays facilities oh, probably yeah. in the whole country um, cool. but it's kind of yeah. like a private but we it should go down there do. next time i'm up here we should yeah. go down there yeah, i mean it's like drinking beer and playing golf with your buddies like I sporting like clays is yeah. like the golf of and you do take like a golf cart from you know spot to spot i'd rather do that than than nice. golf oh yeah. yeah yeah oh definitely sounds better definitely but anyway um what, what was your experience, first experience with silencers? Surely your age, oh, you've got one or shoot them. Yeah, I, I have I have several. Um, no, I would say probably, so probably when I was at Leupold, I imagine we, we I know we did some uh, like sales meetings, this is kind of boring uh, story, but we did some sales meetings out in New Mexico at the NRA Whittington Center in Raton. Uh, where we would bring our sales reps out for three or four days yeah. and, you know, make, make them learn how to use the, the turrets on a scope and shoot out to 1200 yards Good or whatever. Thinking. Yeah. Um, and, and there were different courses where we'd make them kind of learn how to use a, learn how to use a rangefinder, use, learn, learn how to use the, the, uh, reticles and subtensions and the reticles. And then also dial and just how to shoot long distance in various ways. Uh, and some of that was with a suppressor. It's great. Um, Silencers, because then, yeah, you can tell the guys what to do. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And, and learning, you know, just learning what a silencer does to a gun. I mean, on a precision bolt gun, you might need to make, shooting it with and without, you might need to make a, an adjustment on your zero. Um, but moral it, of that story is don't shoot without Ron. Well, yes, that's that's the goal, right? But then you go to Africa. General I don't. Council I don't have tells one. You can't take silence. I don't have one for every gun that I own. So, you know, yet. Well, keep how many Q suppressors do you own? Uh, zero. Uh, <laughs> but 
but Oof, we're how dare well you. With, we're with that being said the only taurus i have is the one he gave me yeah. <laughs> fair enough yeah i have one question how dare you <laughs> uh, speaking of that i got ordered a new turret for that i gotta put on there so i can shoot that far because i hit on yeah. the swerve yeah i used that one day on a 308 when i was in africa last month and or earlier this month and i shot out uh i don't i don't remember now like i said on the last one i remembered but three maybe just over 400 but i just held like i like i dope but i never dialed because you know it's got like the shitty turret on it that you got to take the cap off but it has sub tensions and you yeah yeah, yeah. so i just yeah so i did that and i just memorized that and, um the new turret shoot quick. Uh, you'll run it exposed yeah i, I will and um you know and it's weird you know you get so used to like high power but you forget like with an eight power you can shoot like a reasonably yeah. sized animal four or five hundred yards with right it. i and think i think my first time shooting i think uh past a thousand yards let's say 1250 uh was with a 10 power scope yeah it's a poke oh, you can yeah. you can do it you can well you think i mean when you, you know not long well i don't know probably until the war like I mean, the army and marine snipers were using like fixed ten power. Yeah, like that's all they had. Like I don't, I don't, I don't actually know what was on the M forty. I'm not sure. You don't know either because no. you got you you weren't an embassy sniper. A sniper. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, and uh, probably until we did the M twenty ten, is that what it was called? The M twenty four upgrade. Uh, they probably still had a bunch of them. Probably still had fixed ten power scopes on them, like mill dot. You can do it. It's not optimum. Yeah. But, you know. Um, so, okay, so you're this. You're exposed to silencers, and yeah, then and you got some. It, well, and then, you know, my time at Walther, where, where we're, you know, we had threaded barrel guns, and we kind of learned the hard way, like, hey, maybe you should test this with a variety of silencers. My on Walther P99, the threaded barrel came with a red-painted coil spring that you had to replace the spring in the gun if you used a silent the bnt silencer with it yeah and now you should probably use a different spring than that I would say. <laughs> like, your 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 spring should be green at this point well right? mine was but i mean what you should really do i mean it's tough with a, like a browning type action you got a moving barrel mm -hmm. i mean you really do like people take it for <coughs> granted like a pistol silencer is, is more problematic it's more delicate. It, it's you should really made it with the gun. I mean, the timing is a real, real mm -hmm. thing. You know, and for us, especially with with a lot of our products now, like we we just released a nine millimeter silencer. I think they started. Yeah, they started shipping. Mm -hmm. Um, it, and it's probably twenty twenty five percent lighter than almost everything else on the market. So the lighter we go with that, like it's a bigger deal. The yeah. bigger window we have it opens a bigger window of yeah. reliability functionality. Yeah, so it's it good. So we still use a recoil booster, but the silencer's light. Like you're not going to mess a gun up. Then mm -hmm. I was going to ask at what weight do you have to? At what point do you not have to have a booster? Depends on, that, on or the a gun. Piston. A Glock, it's probably well. It depends on the length too. There's a lot of variability in ammo too. I mean, yeah. But the uh, rule, rule of thumb used to be for like an M9 about six ounces and about four ounces for a Glock. Gotcha. But it also depend on some length and back pressure and all sorts of other things. But you got to get really light to get reliable function from a booster. And 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 I'll tell people, you think your gun's reliable, like point it straight down the ground and shoot. Mm -hmm. that, that, 
that to me is like the quick and dirty. That's not like the testing that we do. But when the engineers tell me like, oh, it's working great, blah, 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 blah. I wait for the gun to get dirty and I point in the ground and shoot it. Like that's the, that's the old man. That's wisdom. Mm. That, that's what you're going to do. One of you motherfuckers laugh about that? <laughs> My man. Jay's is taking a nap over there. Speaking of that, Thomas young, was I, got, I got some stuff here. What was your first silencer that you purchased? Jesus. Talk about my previous email interrupted. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. Before you got into it. No, I just um, said it. Mr. Interrupter. So I have, I currently have three. I'm waiting on two more on, on Form 4s right now, but I have. You have that many and you don't have a Q silencer. Yeah. Well, you living in a cave? We, we need to talk. And We're talking you, now. You have offered. And I don't want to take you up. like I will purchase, and I'm happy to. You keep it up. You're gonna like, have to purchase. Right. But I don't, Adam yeah. makes a decision. No, I have a, I have a, a Dead Air Sandman S, mm. and <laughs> and I have two. Shout out, shout out to our buddy Mike Pappas. Yeah, shout yeah. Out, shout out, out Mike Pappas. So you got that uh, on a Rossi? <laughs> what, do you, what do you got? <laughs> Go Brazil. And, and then oh I, and then I also have a. Two two silencers by a company called Thermal Defense Solutions, hmm. which is a jeez. It sounds very uh, fancy and important. It's mm-hmm. it. They are cool, but it's a very niche, small company. What deal. is it? So it's a it's a hundred percent three D printed uh, Inconel okay suppressor. Yeah. So the the and I'll, I can show you a picture. The five five six can is smaller than the flashlight that's on the gun, and it's four ounces. Oh wow! And I can shoot. A mag through it and in five minutes take it off by hand and it's it cools you, you gotta wear double ear pro when you shoot it's that. not quiet but it's not <laughs> it's it, it takes it down it works yeah. it's but it's not gonna be the quiet it, it's not the mo- I, that's I, not the point i love talking you know? shit but you know we make a lot of our silencers small and compact just so when i hunt it's the right. smallest thing to where I don't notice the shot yeah. when I shoot. It, then, I mean, it, it sounds like so a I nail. It sounds like a nail gun going off or whatever. It's not. It's not so loud. I can wear nothing, or I can wear you know just plugs or whatever. Um, but it's very small, very compact, very light, and I like compact and lightweight. And and my thought behind that is you know home defense whatever. So you felt guilty about that. So you got the Sandman that weighs about three pounds. Well, and yeah, I'm. I'm buddies with Pappas, and you know, you know, but interesting guy. Yeah, he is, and that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, Yeah. Um, nice guy. Uh, But yeah, I don't have a Q yet. We do at the company. We have several Q silencers. Nice. Okay. So because we test with, at least Taurus knows what's going on. We actually, I think we actually have a five five six on one of our full auto guns. It's in my safe in my office. Has to be the trash panda print. Maybe. I think so. Yeah. So, speaking of that, so I got inspired this morning. Stop looking. Um, <laughs> so, shower wise, and thinking about like you guys, you being got inspired so in the shower. That's yeah. twice yeah. while yeah. shaving yeah. his head. While thinking of us, while too. shaving his head. Yeah, 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 but it's not. I mean, I don't care that you guys are gay. I'm just not. <laughs> um, so, no offense. While shaving his ball. The head. Yeah, yeah. I, I caught <laughs> so that this is one from from that box art back there that Thomas loves. Oh, so yeah. like, live ugly, fake your own death. Which I think is pretty much like, do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. And, and I think like these are you should never take life advice from me. But I'm going to give you so much of it right here. <laughs> Some of these could either be like epitaph, like it go on your tombstone. Some of it's just life advice that that I've learned. Kind of like your shirt. 
So that this to me, I hope is on like my tombstone, but there shouldn't be one because I want the pirate or you know, uh, like for me when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pirate. Like I thought I could do that. And then the Viking funeral. I forget what state, but I think I just read somewhere that somebody made that legal now, where you yeah, can have a Viking you, you funeral. You can do it, it was up here somewhere. That's how like, I want to yeah, get it. But the thing here. is, yeah, maybe if Maine. you were a real pirate and you are a real Viking, you don't give a fuck if it's legal or not. And that's, that's what right. I say. Like that's the life mm-hmm. I want. But you, you can still. To, you have to say those for the people just listening. Oh Jesus Christ! You're not just say pick it up. Pirate life. Yeah, so that's pirate life, Viking funeral, and and I hope at the end of the day that sums my life up. Like, did I just do what the fuck I want? And then that's the funeral I want. I think you can be buried at sea legally. Yeah, I just reposted that, you, that with was weird facts. That? Yeah. Okay. So you can. Yeah. Um, yeah, but international waters you can kind of do anything you fucking want. True. Especially so, if your name's Bin Laden. Especially. Well, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't matter. We can mm-hmm. do what we want with your ass. But um, for me, I, yeah, buried at sea. That's one thing. Like I don't know. Maybe that's what you do with a pirate too. But the Viking funeral. Come on. Like that's mm-hmm. the greatest thing. Like, have all you assholes there with, like, shoot. flaming arrows trying to shoot, you That'd know, awesome. some wood boat that mm-hmm. I'm, like, sailing down the river in. It'd be great. All That's of you will miss, and I'll just end up, like, on the bank somewhere rotting to death. Thomas just telling uh, stories about the one time you put ice in his whiskey. I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> if that's legal in New Hampshire when I die, then that's the way I want it. Which one? Viking. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you. If you that's die before me, I will light your ass yeah, the fuck up. Please do. Oh, I will. Even if it's illegal. Yeah, I'll do it. That's I'm I mean that should that. be the whole thing. Pirate life. Yeah. Okay. I don't who, care if it's legal. I ain't asking anybody for permission. Who are they gonna charge? They're not they, they charge oh, they will charge me. But you know, maybe I'll get a better <laughs> you know, I'm sure the EPA would be kind of upset about <laughs> well the whole oh fucking bullshit. What if well like, I'm just letting you guys know. My I mean you're probably just right happened to catch on fire. I mean stuff burns shit happens. while floating. There were, there were not yeah, a lot in the middle of the there weren't a lot of fish in that area anyway. Transportation. There was an accident, fell out of the hearse. It's a whole series of events. I will totally do it. I don't care if it's legal or not. I'll go right. to jail for it. What? That's why, I have, that's why I have a personal attorney. Chris, well, Christine a, will hook me we up. We have official record of it now on video. Yeah. My wishes. Christine, yeah. she watches this too, so. Mm-hmm. If Adam dies. Yeah, just tell my wife. Mm. All right, what is this one? Oh, here. This is good for you guys. Very inspiring. A baby shark is still a shark. So, Correct. Yeah. So that's like uh, what I told Ron Cohen when he's like, you know, Ethan can't be a senior engineer, blah, blah, blah. And he was right about a couple things, but overall he was wrong. And what do you see happens? He puts someone Ethan's age in charge of engineering when we leave. Yeah, baby shark, still a shark. All right. Uh, (laughs) This is also SIG inspired. If six executives do a good job, three likely do it better. So... Yeah, there's too many. You don't get too many people, Brett. I'm telling you, man. Yeah. You charge that place. You don't need. You don't need a whole bunch of middle management like yeah. those people. I will tell you with this uh, new company I'm working with, Strike Group and Strike Pay. They are are a bunch of what? Is, what is this? I thought you were working for. Uh, so uh, Warren Buffett. You got new. Yeah, no. So that does just, Warren Buffett know about this? Yes, and uh, so part time I'm working with a company called Strike Group, and uh, that the new big uh, launch that we had was a company. Uh, service called strike pay which is payment processing for the firearms industry super 2a friendly and and all of that that's my little plug there but in that company there's a lot We're of familiar executives with this. there's a lot of executives that you know get around and gather around a table and there are some cases and i understand it's rare because i've seen too many uh chefs in the kitchen before and that can be bad but um i it's been interesting seeing that it's a good dynamic 
when everyone kind of goes in there, I think, with a pretty humble heart, and they they're like they're open to. Well, I think when you got a, 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 yeah, if you have six badasses, but it seems like at most of these big companies, um, the executive staff should probably be cut in half. Do you think it has to do with people? We were talking earlier about whether or not people are passionate about the firearms industry, like truly passionate about it, like live it, eat it, breathe it. Um, I think if you get people, like you get the four of us around the table. I think it's just passion in general. Like you couldn't pay me to do something I hate. And I think there's a lot of people, maybe I'm wrong, that will do a lot of things for money. And it doesn't mean they're necessarily good at them. And then I think there's also when you get these big companies and you grow departments and I see as our company's growing now, oh, we need this and this is lacking in this department. And so what do you do? Like we have these discussions, Adam and I do. And it's like, oh, we get a project manager, we get this. And like sometimes it could be a young person who's inspired and willing to work hard like Thomas over here to where, you know, they're going to make it happen and we don't need to tell him what to do. He likes his bourbon neat. Uh, mm. So neat. Per his previous email, do not ever. I know. Do you, think, do you think that um, companies with a lot of too many executives, quote too many, do you think that when a company gets to a certain size, those executives don't necessarily have to be passionate about guns, call it? Like, I'm just playing devil's advocate. I mean, I think if it's not a pissing contest, like if you just need like a board, like we have a very good board and they don't interfere. And if we want something from them, they're Mm going to give us their advice and leave it up to you to make the decision. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's telling you what to do. Those are good. But I think when you get people in there that are like jockeying for position, everybody wants to stick their, you know, their, Mm -hmm. their wiener and everything like that gets bad. I think it's an ego thing. If you know, if you have a really great manager at the helm of a department or at the helm of the entire company, Mm -hmm. as long as they understand that the people below them, you know, are smarter than them or Mm -hmm. better at their job in certain aspects, um, as long as they don't have an ego, I think it can be absolutely great. If you know, if they don't have any knowledge about guns, as long as they're a good manager or empower yeah. their employees, yeah, yeah, I think a square peg and a square hole is important. And yeah, I think our like in the context of Taurus, for example, our our VP of operations is a very you know focused, driven individual, and you know he is a he's not a gun guy. He's mm-hmm. a he owns guns. He shoots. Mm-hmm. But he's not—he's not a what I would call an enthusiast, or you know, someone who's super into guns. But he knows how to make them and how to what, how to motivate the people making them and that, how to manage that side of well, it. Well, I think for me, that's, that's great that's, because it's something that that we're wrestling with. The company's growing a ton, and you you know you know like we're over a year back we're on everything. Yeah, and so it's like. What are we doing? Like, I don't need to do a podcast. I don't need to market. Don't need to do these things. So you do it because, okay, so we got to focus on production and we need someone to focus on that. They don't, all they need to do is be able to run a shop to get things made. Uh, And we continue to do these other things and hope that we're going to get that accomplished and we still need to sell product. But I think you're right. When it comes to operations, it's a different personality than marketing or creative, which, you know, I think I generally am, you know, like I, I only want production because I want the world to have our guns and I don't want to get DMs from people asking me how long it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Other than that, like I'm not, I mean, I'm financially motivated like most people, but I don't think to the degree. And when I made, you know, the comment I made a minute ago about get rid of half the executives, it's people that are there for that. 
Right. Like, you know, I want people that really, and everybody will say, oh, I want to change the world. I love this. I love the firearms industry. But the people that are willing to sacrifice and put in work. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people that aren't, it's like, that's why you need a board. Like, mm-hmm. we have a good board for that. Um, they're really smart guys with a lot of experience. We have a question. They'll give us their input, their experience, their opinions. But, you know, ultimately it's up to Adam to, like, implement that stuff. But I do see, and it's interesting because, you know, Adam being with his background and, you know, being in the Marines and he's a very structured and organized person, but he's also like pretty creative. Um, so, I mean, it'll, it'll be interesting how we implement a lot of this over the next couple of years, but it's difficult. Like, what do you do? Do you get someone with tons of experience to come in, like run operations or do we just take what we've learned, you know, deal with our board, get the input from them, from their experience of running really big companies and things, you know, and for us, like Taurus would be a big company, like that kind of production, the volume of guns that you guys do, like, how do we do that? And then it's also, we got to balance it with our goals, which to me is like 20 years. I want to build a brand quality. You know, I I don't want money now to cut corners to, you know, I mean, because you want to make hay while the sun shines, but I, I don't want us to focus on just the now because of uh, COVID or Biden and, you know, make sacrifices that will haunt us for years to come. I know the general manager at Vertex, um, his name's Denny, and when he he had been in product development for that the big portion of the company, you know, Flying Cross and, and Fetchheimer, he was in the product development role for a long time. When he took over Vertex, he was not really a gun guy and had never really concealed carried. And he knew that that was the DNA of the brand. And I saw him from when he took over to now. And back then, he didn't really own too many guns, didn't carry a gun. Now he's one of the head guys at his church's security team, carries a gun every single day, like really got into it. Um, oh, embraced did not, it. Yeah. Super embraced it. Now it's like it's a genuine part of his life. Well, but, I would uh, embrace it for the sake. If I accept a job, like I would embrace it in that regard. But for me, like I rarely carry a gun and I do some, but it, it's just not the reason like I love guns and I've been exposed to all these things and I still just go back to my corner. I think I'm lucky that I found it. I was fascinated by silencers. I was fascinated by firearms. I think I'm smart enough to understand the mechanics of firearms, but, you know, probably not of things that are more complicated. So I kind of found my niche. But but I've never, you know, like my passion, but, I mean, it could be the same thing. Like my passion now is hunting, which I want to get to talking about with you guys in a minute. And so that's where a lot of my focus is now. But I try to stay true. Like my background is, you know, I, I became fascinated by silencers. We pretty quickly get government military contracts and I work with those groups for a very long time. And so I have that experience at, you know, a pretty elite level with guys that actually did a lot of stuff and used product and shot and were engaged in firefights. So I have that. But then also on a practical side, well, and also commercially, you know, we can't just have a company that's available when there's war. And so the commercial business was always important to me. And then I find hunting and it's like, well, it's like, you know, when I talked about 300 blackout before, you know, it's not a lot of difference between like shooting a 200 pound pig and a 200 pound dude. It's kind of the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so how do these products make sense commercially? And, you know, all these things led me to hunting, which I love now. But yeah, I mean, it, it's cool to see people get involved, but 
for me, if you know my job, like I love product, so I could see being in charge of you know decisions for product for Vertex, Vertex, and if the if if it is like concealed carry stuff and all, then I mean I would feel obligated to get involved in that, yeah, and and have a good understanding, and and, and that's what I've not seen when I talk about like other executives, um, with them. You know, they come in, oh, well, this is no different than, you know, the hardware industry or some other industry. We're just going to do these things. I've got this formula that works for the masses. I think the big fear or one of the big fears in our industry is uh, you remember and not to pick on HK, but that HK uh, blunder they had where they had the mags loaded with the backwards, round, the round backwards, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, Bud Feeney <laughs> and then talk about, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. I think that's a. One of my big well, fears. You know what that is, and I think like Thomas would probably flip a table, but that that is when you get a company and they hire a marketing firm. And like we never had marketing. Last year we start building a marketing department. We're doing stuff like this podcast or whatever. And yeah, I mean, to me it's very important. Everything, the customer experience when they first see their box like our, our gun, when we ship it to them, they go to their gun store, they see the box, when they open the box, when they pick the gun up, like all the customer experience stuff to me is very important. Mm-hmm. And I think, I do not like that. I didn't like it at SIG. Uh, and, and they were still had a marketing department, were hands-on, but the guy who was in charge of marketing for HK and, and allowed that to happen, he's a great guy. Adam and I know him. Mm-hmm. He's an incredible shotgun shooter. Like He's a gun guy. But he's running all this marketing stuff, and he just... Yeah, I drink a beer with him any day. Oh, yeah, he's a great dude. Yeah. One of the best people at SIG. But, you know, he just had a lot going on, and, you know, you get used to delegating stuff, and, like, you got to stay in the weeds. Like, we'll ship the mystery shirts tomorrow or start shipping them, and it's like, Tom is freaking out over here because he's got to be there to help pack them up because to him, it's like if somebody receives it and they don't get their sticker, the shirt's, like, not in their correct like whatever and that's what you want i mean to me you want people that are going to take pride in it and you know that hk blunder where i mean i remember you know larry vickers is who handed me he had just retired from delta working with h and k handed me that catalog and laughed and said look at this fucking shit (laughs) and i was like what he's like the rounds are in the magazine backwards and i still have it but yeah like how embarrassing hk probably one of the greatest gun companies to ever exist and but yeah, if you farm your shit out to somebody else that's not into it, it's what can happen. Right? But also, if you are the head of the ship and you are employing these people and mm-hmm. you are farming this out, like we have, we have two agencies that work for us for our various brands. We have three different brands. They don't get to make that mistake without me seeing it sure. so oh well bud feeney he so, checked off on it he right. just didn't really look at it and i don't know who the i don't know if he was he wasn't the president of hk i'm guessing at that no, time he but was in charge of their market wayne, wayne was wayne was the president back then i don't know if that's i'm pretty sure or not it might have been right before but either way i mean and not throwing shade at whoever that person is but you know we own that as as the person in that seat mm-hmm. you own it well, I, I think as a leader, you know, like what I want to impress upon Adam or, you know, anybody else is if we do not fail, we're trying. And, you know, we're not trying. Sorry. You know, so our failures are fine. Like you got to learn from mm-hmm. even something that ridiculous. 
Like, I would be fine with that. If we had a catalog and the rounds were in there backwards, it's embarrassing, humiliating. But maybe, I will. I maybe will, you should do one. Just, you know, <laughs> but I will see. laugh at it. We could do it as like an HK spoof. That'd be fun. Yeah. Tourists could do it. We could. But I would laugh it off, but I guarantee do you we do never that. do that again. And, and that's what I want for our company overall. Because if we don't fuck up, we're not trying hard. Mm-hmm. And if you make the same mistake again, like, you probably need to be replaced. But Ron, I think if, it's, if it was on every page and like even on like the revolver side, you yeah. know, I think it'd be okay. <laughs> I think people would get it. At, at some point, they would understand it. It's not I mean, you could just do the entire layout like that catalog, make it look just like it, but with the new tourist gun with the rounds backwards. Even, I think it'd be better on the revolver side. You know, you got the, you got the cylinder open and the hollow point facing it. Oh, it would be great. Yeah, I mean, Tommy and his team are making sell sheets for all of our products and stuff, and they come across my desk, and I nitpick them and stuff, and I look for all the errors. Well, you know, some shit just slips past you, but at the end of the day, but even there's some there's some wording that even yeah. oh, you yeah. know you, you would you would shy away from, or mm-hmm. just being a gun guy or being you know mm-hmm. into it, you just want to make sure that uh, you are well, portraying yeah. your brand I, in the best. Well, with the marketing, I actually don't want anyone that's like Thomas doesn't know anything about guns he's learning now and to me that's an advantage because like if you're a gun guy and there's certain parts of our company I think that fits well and I reserve the right to change my mind so I must go ahead and say that for you say something but um but with marketing I want a different approach than anything I've seen in firearms like our marketing sucks overall just like most of the distribution we talked about earlier going direct I don't like it like I was an industry Ours is an industry. Yeah. So I want a different approach. And I, you know, I want him, Thomas to learn and understand the stuff, but I do not want him influenced by, you know, his 20 years of experience in the firearms industry. Yeah. So when I think of the Q, the average Q customer, and we talked about this a little bit last night, but the average Q customer is a very savvy, educated gun buyer or firearms enthusiast. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you talk about tourists, some of their products are targeted more towards the beginner shooter or the novice shooter or somebody that's just becoming, you know, uh, familiar with this industry. So I think when you have somebody like Thomas, you know, not picking on you, but that doesn't have so much experience, they can relate more to that marketing than you or I could because we're, we see it from a way different lens than a brand new shooter would. Well, maybe, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's better for us to do it because we know what they don't know. But you know, for me, I like, you know, Thomas's approach to a lot of it, it not being gun centric because I want to be different because I think we have the opportunity to market how we want, because I think we make a very high end product. we create some niches, whether it's, you know, the fixed rifle, eight, six cartridge, like we do things that are, are outside of what other people are doing in the industry. And, um, you know, we make some of the best products and we're able to market however we want, where I think when you have, you know, like if we were making, um, like you're making that 22 and that to me, that's like a pretty cool high end 22, but that should be kind of a beginner's gun as well. And if we were making, uh, you know, we've got a 22 pistol and rifle project that, that hopefully will see the light of day and that marketing is going to be different because it'll be, it's I mean, we'll be probably be able to sell our initial couple years to just our customers or fan base now, but it will be to a more novice customer, and so that marketing will need to take a different approach. So yeah, maybe. Hmm. Oh. I like what we've done for marketing and especially social media. 
I think it's it's a lot of fun. It's kind of uh, loose, but also the our followers are pretty aggressive. Has Q ever not been in a back order situation? No. From the that's what I thought. So that's yeah, that's a very so fortunate gonna, place to be in as a company. Yeah. So if we can be successful, Adam and I with you know approach to manufacturing. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I tell him all the time, you know, it's always a concern. Like, holy shit, what if the dog catches the car? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well. I hope that never happens because I hope that our products speak for themselves so much that no matter how much we can make, there'll always be a greater demand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if so, then that's you know that's up to us to market and then up to us to develop new product mm-hmm. that you know can can help the company continue to grow because you know if we're not growing, we're dying. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So you have a, I don't know if it's your tagline or if you really formalize, but impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, working with German engineers, a lot of times they would say mm-hmm. that's impossible or, you know, they, it's a word that we kind of joked around. So when you came out with that as your tagline, I was mm-hmm. like, I kind of giggled like that's awesome, you know, cause it's ultimately good. we, we would achieve things that we thought were not possible, but, um, it's a cool yeah. thing. I mean, and I think there's, thank you. And I think there's, to me, it was just ironic, and it's great, you know, j- just sort of like my constant joke that I learned from the owner of H&K when first time he took me to H&K to an engineering meeting, he says the German sense of humor is no laughing matter. <laughs> and uh, But, yeah, I mean, I think even at Q, we've done yeah. things that initially, like right away, Ethan or Nick or one of the real smart guys would say, like, you can't mm, do that. And yeah. it's just like, okay, why not? Like, okay. You know, and, and there's some stuff I can think of off the top of my head that we're working on now that I'm not going to say mm-hmm. that yeah. they said that. And I was like, bullshit. And we can get it done. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and I mean, I, we couldn't without them. Yeah. But, you know, it's my job sometimes to convince them like, hey, you know, and sometimes it's ego. Sometimes it's their training. Sometimes it's laziness. I don't know. But it's like, yeah, maybe maybe you don't know everything. Like, let's try it and see getting that perspective from outside of the industry, I think is important for seeing things that the industry is traditionally seen as impossible. Um, Brett has a guy that works for him named George on the engineering team and product development team there. And he came from designing helmets Mm. beforehand. And now when you talk to him, he brings such an interesting outsider's perspective and I haven't worked with him personally too much, but I know he brings a, you know, I'm sure you've seen him bring perspective from outside. Yeah. It's, it's from a R and D's, perspective it's great to see someone who's you know willing to try things you know because an, an engineer yeah. is so so typically like well you know like you said we can't do that whatever but we can always try to do it and if it doesn't work or whatever you know uh so it's been it's been refreshing to see that within that department you know mm-hmm. yeah, i think um Generally, when they tell me that, they're right. But it's not always. But, you know, you, I mean, they get lazy. So, you, I mean, to me, I always want to, you know, take them to task. It's that's, like, okay. That's why there's no innovation in in polymer pistols. Right. I mean, yeah. there's really not much else to do if we keep trying the same shit. Well, yeah, I mean, maybe the thing is that it's not a polymer pistol. Like, I don't know Correct. what the next thing is. But. Well, we did that We did that at Walther. We we made a striker-fired steel frame gun, mm-hmm. and that, you know, for for Walther was extremely successful and still is. You know, it's interesting is probably like right now while we're here, um, Ethan's probably welding up 
our first pre-production stainless steel silencers and uh they were going to be the same weight as the titanium so for instance the trash panda titanium silencer weighs i don't remember call it 11 and a half ounces and the steel version ethan's like i think with this process that we're using and the material that we're using the alloy that i can get it to that weight and i'm like fuck you man (laughs) but I'm like, that's great. Like, I always want to believe. And so, like, I support it. And Ethan's one who is willing to fail, and I give him credit for that. And I'm like, fucking dude, okay. Like, I believe in you, but I think you're bullshit. Like Adam said, it turned out two ounces lighter. Mm -hmm. And it's steel. So, I'm like, "Mm." your DMs are going to blow up over that. Oh. you just made, by the way. Oh, I mean, it's it's impressive. Yeah. Um, So, and we'll see. What you're going to have is people like me that's like, hey, I just bought this. And now you're telling me, and I've filed a form four. Yeah. And, and <laughs> so then I'm going to say, okay, so buy what, another one. No, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, yeah, it's go, like anybody no. that's bought an iPhone. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> God damn, Adam's still my joke. I had damn like it. a great joke. <laughs> it was like, okay, so find yourself a box that maybe like he a delivered it much, air conditioning much more unit fits in. Yeah. And then and then put your, your laptop in it and your phone from last year and that silencer and send it to somebody that gives shit. Like, yeah. you, you know, you buy, you replace all that stuff. That's one thing with the $200 tax and the barrier to entry with silencers mm-hmm. is you think, oh, it's got to be great for the rest of my life. It's like, what else you got that, like you driving the same car from 12 years ago? Right. Even think about that old Remington 700. Like, that's one thing that I don't think anybody. Let's not let's say anybody in the world doesn't understand. We have the only product, whether it's silencers or firearms, we're the only product that's expected to last a lifetime. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know what else. There's nothing else. What else? Oh wow, Thomas, how long does that vape last? How many different versions of the vape have you had since they came out? And really, the thing is, is that it's four. All right. It's meant to last multiple lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Like, you look at that double gun that you just showed us um, last night. That's The thing was killing shit 100 years ago. That's a generational gun. Like that, mm-hmm. It's right here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, oh, that oh, God. Gun. All right. We got to get after this because we got to get. We haven't talked about we hunting. Talk oh, about Jesus. Hunting. Okay. This so here, eight here's hour where goes with this. No, he'll, he'll scout down. <laughs> that's fine. But if it's cool, it's cool. He'll decide if it's interesting. Nothing but time. So, you know, that's the SAS motto. Mm-hmm. Who dares win? So that that's like so true to life. Oh, my God. That's a great one. Oh. So I love this. Haters are great. Yeah. Y- you know, one thing is, is, um, if you don't have haters, you're probably not significant or doing anything relevant. Mm-hmm. That's first of all. Yeah, they feed the fire. Mm. I think and it goes back to what you were saying where, you know, if you're not failing, then you're not trying hard enough. Like if you don't have haters, then, you know, then you're not making a big enough mm-hmm. splash for people to even notice you. Yeah, and there's different types yeah. of haters too. There's just trolls, right? Yeah. But then there's also the skeptics with new technology. Like, oh, that could oh. never work. Oh, eight six is the big yeah, one. 100%. Like fast twist. Well, it's not how you measure muzzle yeah. energy. First yeah. of all, how often you shoot something at the muzzle? So shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like kinetic energy is what we really want. Mm-hmm. Energy on target. So you're saying only linear velocity is important in your science. Mm-hmm. Like in, in your world you know rotational velocity that's no energy well in a, in a hunting context you don't want a, a pencil poked through the animal you, there I mean, you go right i mean a e- laser e- beam you shoot it through the brain or the heart it's but, great it's gonna die let's talk, about, let's talk with, about shooting something with a bow if you really want to scale sure. it down yeah. to 
killing something, and Thomas is getting attacked by killer bee over there. Thomas, um, what are you doing? It's, it's up on the fly, window. You're good. You weirdo. It, it's a bee, but it's up on the. Oh Jesus! Oh. Are you allergic? It's not the really? it bald eagle. Oh, yeah. That one time I had a vagina. I was terrified. <laughs> Just hit it with your purse. <laughs> oh, that was so good. Adam's but go, good getting back to it, if you shoot something with an arrow, you don't want to shoot it with a field point. You want to shoot it with a broadhead that yeah. expands right. out. You want and it, that thing is twisting as it... You want to induce bleeding. Yeah. And uh, it's no different with a bullet. It just happens rapidly mm-hmm. and... Yeah, different scale like a blender where we talked about yeah. like you know you have the low speed the medium and the turbo um but fast twist man that's where it's at um so so yeah that, i mean just back to the hater saying oh that's it doesn't mm-hmm. it's like okay so we're using so little of the energy that's created when the bullet comes out of the barrel so all that flash and sound is energy. And so now we're just stealing some of that and using it rotationally. And so what that's doing is putting energy in your target. But There's yeah. a guy that works for Walther. His name's uh, Peter Dahlhammer, and he's probably the smartest person in the world when it comes to firearms. He, I think he's the only person to have a doctorate in small arms. Or he, yeah. so, he's a, so I agree he's probably the smartest He's a German engineer, but he's probably the oh, really? smartest. Oh, really? With name like Dahlhammer? He sounds yeah. stubborn. Yeah. Thought, uh, he, thought but, he was But he wrote his his thesis when he got his PhD was a book that I actually helped him translate to English, which is Innovation in Small Arms Manufacturing. And I can send you a copy of it or whatever. Um, With that pistol? Well, and so he, he goes through. Yeah, it will be there when whenever the pistol gets there or whatever. So... <laughs> Uh, but he, he's a, he's an extremely intelligent guy that te- he teaches classes in mechanical engineering and he's teaching people how, how guns are made That's and wonderful. brought to life. Wonderful. I'd be interested to talk to him and find out who else has done a fast twist or made huge adjustments to twist rate over the years because you think about these kinds of innovations that happen in our industry. And I would assume based on the data you've shown me that some point down the road that will become the norm in the industry, especially with bullet technology or projectile technology. Yeah. Cause becoming, it's improving. And yeah. I mean, we even see with 300 blackout. I mean, this is small scale, but it's something that, that prints it's fast twist, you know, one well, in five is becoming, the norm with that and we stopped at one in five because of bullet technology mm-hmm. and peter you know i don't, I don't want to speak for him but when i've asked him personally like hey what's in your mind what it what was the driving force for what we have today you know it wasn't a uh, glock introducing semi-automatic uh polymer which they didn't but you know it, it was going from a, a paper cartridge casing to metallic that really yeah. drove more than than anything that we've seen. That drove the innovation. So all these things came as a result of that. But without that, you can't you can't do what we do today. Yeah, and I mean that's old at this point. So it, it, it's everybody's looking for some great big change. Right. But it's like, why has no one ever messed? But you know, short barrels just became a thing within the last twenty years. So, like, you couldn't buy a Remington 700 Tactical with a 16-inch barrel or 18 or even 20-inch barrel 20 years ago. 24, 26-inch barrels, what you got? 
And, you know, you start shortening those things up. Okay, you're losing linear velocity. What do you do? And if you have big, long, heavy bullets, that slow twist was designed for a barrel that was 40% longer, probably ought to make it faster. I mean, it's it's basic science and thought. But, you know, what we have, too, a lot of the traditional, you know, um, machines that are, you know, pulling buttons and stuff, like they can only go down to a one in seven or a one in six and three quarter twist. So no one ever experimented with it because you couldn't do it. Yeah, we tried to do one and three at Green Mountain a while back. And bro- broke Ethan. their machines. Yeah, Ethan kept breaking the machines, kept having to buy gears. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I mean, we'll see. I think this is an innovation, and and it wasn't. You know, there's a lot of things. I think a lot of companies try to innovate to for marketing and to be different. And, and I don't think that's our approach. I I I hope, and because what I believe is that we we actually innovate and come up with things that are missing in the industry and want to do something different. And, you know, I don't want to compete with everyone, whether it's going to shot show or it's, you know, like we're not going to make a $400 polymer frame striker pistol, try to compete with you guys. Like, Mm. it's just not who we are. We can't do it. I don't want to do it. So we got to do different shit. So, I mean, and that's, what's more interesting to me. There's a need for all of it, but yeah, fast twist, I think, is going to become a thing. I think we'll see it. Okay, so back to the my uh, my words of wisdom here. Why are you always peeking? You're I, a peeker. I'm a peeker. So uh, this goes with the hater thing. Um, if you're anonymous, you do not fucking matter. Mm. And I think that's a good one to live by. Like, I love it. Like, like the people that especially attack me, like, they're all anonymous. It's the internet. Yeah, I know. Like, you're so lame. Like, I don't... Like, it's just laughable to me. Like, I think it's funny. I I love igniting all of those idiots. I think the flip side of that is being in a position of, you know, a president role or whatever and owning what your company's doing and, and, you know, facing those things head on. We talked last night about, you know, some of our struggles with warranty repair and customer service and trying to get that. Yeah. Like, I own it. It, it, whether, Whether I was the driving force of why it got bad or not, I'm, I'm in this position today and I own it in every single uh, letter that comes in or phone call or whatever. I, I head that up personally and take care That's of it. That's incredible. And so it's, it's the flip side of being anonymous, right? But making sure that, that people know we're serious. Yeah. Well, when you have, um, customers who purchase your product and they have a problem, they say, like, that's a real thing. Yeah. You know, like people now, it's just so easy to go online and be anonymous about stuff. And it's like so funny, but taking that approach, because to me, like I hate seeing us get a single RMA, a single gun, single silencer, single product back. But like when you start producing volumes of stuff, it's going to happen. Well, and I'll say this. So we started tracking uh, guns that came back within the first year of manufacture. So we shipped the gun on what day yep. is, you know may 24th of this year guns that come back for repair within the next 12 months it's less than two tenths of a percent which is oh, not wow. not any at all that's it's, that seems awesome but like, i would assumed it was many times higher but if that. you're but if you're producing two million guns year after year after year <laughs> and we're an 82 year old company at this point 40 years in in the u.s is a, a u.s based company you know that that there's a ton of guns out there that need to be repaired that it could just be a spring or a screw or whatever that that's missing uh you know 
that's a shitload of guns that we got to get through. Oh yeah. And, and so, so many guns that are now out of production. Right. And so we oh. talked about this a little bit, you know, yesterday we, we have guns that, that are out of production or we have guns that we need parts from Brazil. We have, we have these things, but when I, when I started diving into our issues within our warranty repair, and I say issues because it's not to my standards, I came from a company that we expect 48 hour turnaround time. And when you're, when you're producing like we are, that's a, that's a heavy task, but Mm. the, the repair, the, the return rate is not that high that we can't achieve it. And we're, we're at six hours right now. We're, we're, we are repairing things the day they get in. And so that's wonderful. So it's not a, you know, it's not a capacity thing or, or a volume thing. It's just a matter of having, processes and systems that can handle it and not letting it slip by. And, you know, it goes back to what you said, you're not your past or whatever. We, we have guns in the past that maybe aren't to our quality standards today. And we've in the past not upheld our warranty repair, but we've done things to, to build this up. And, you know, we want to produce a quality product. We also want to stand behind it. That's awesome. Well, now it's probably more important than ever, especially, I mean, the internet's nothing new, but in the, uh, in the scale of the, the time of tourists, it's relatively new. And, you, and, but you know, it's with every company, like you just can't get away with yeah stuff you could get away with in the past where, you know, what are you going to do? Send a letter to the newspaper editor? Like, I don't know. Like you can put everybody on blast now and even anonymously, like like a little like a little twat. Do you think uh back you know, you said John Hollister and Mike Murs were the face of AAC, um, which made you somewhat anonymous to the general public back then. Is that why with Q you've become a very public face? Yeah, I think there was value to it and I think I, I was approached when I was at SIG to start a company. And I didn't like uh and I was very interested in it, but uh it was with a, a one individual very wealthy guy but when it came down to it you know he wanted control and i just wasn't okay with that like it was a lot of money and it'd been cool but you know i'm not being walked out the front door again and um i i think when i wanted to start my own i entertained taking on investment initially but me having control and then it just didn't work out like i wasn't happy with the valuation but i thought like i added value um, and, and then I don't know, maybe it's some insecurity of being fired from my old company where I, I want to be integral in the face of the company to where it is, you know, like you, you got to think hard before you walk me out the door. Cause like right now I control, you, you know, uh, the majority shares of the company and I'm on the board. So, I mean, Adam runs the company and daily operations. I'm the chairman of the board. Um, but even the board don't make all the decisions, but I can't be thrown out. How, how does someone get on your board? Well, that's a good question. So I, I am on the board. I appoint uh, a board member and then there is one other shareholder that gets a board seat and it can either be him or he can appoint someone. And then beyond that, it takes approval of both of us to appoint additional members. So, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, you know, things that I, I thought and felt 
five years ago, 10 years ago, or for reasons in the past. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, we've already created a past. You know, everyone at Q and, and, and Adam and I have created five years now. And and I feel differently than I did then. And five years now, I'll feel differently than I did. And for some point, it might be best for me not to be in charge. And I'm fine with that. Like, I'm already fine with me not being in charge of, like, operations. Like, I understand daily decisions and and i create my own checks and balances whether it's been you you know adam becoming the ceo or i have like our general counsel um a personal attorney you know like i create it for myself um i want what's best for the company and one day it might be that it's best for the company that i'm not there and and i'm fine with that when, when that day comes because I love what I do and I wouldn't trade my life with hardly probably anyone I've ever known. Um, but I've made tons of mistakes and at some point, you know, it's just like we talked about hunting, which I want to get to real quick. Um, my life will change and my priorities and I want what's best for the company. And someday it's probably going to be me not being involved or making the decisions that I make now with, even marketing or products and that's okay like i'm getting older like i'm detached from things you know and there's nothing that can show you that more than having you know you three young bastards here that are in charge of shit or having teenage kids like i see that i'm getting older like i don't think i'm irrelevant um i think i've got a lot of experience wisdom in our industry and i'm still learning every day but you know someday i won't and it's fine like i don't like i hope this is not the final chapter of my life like, you know, I want to go on and be like Colonel Corbett or, or, or whatever, you know, like I'd love to live out the rest of my life, like hunting in Africa or doing something and writing freaking stories about that. And then be like, like for right now, like my dream would be like living my pirate life would be that I, I get to be some, I don't know, great hunter somewhere. And then it's like, oh, he also did gun stuff, you know, like. It's always, it's probably like an entrepreneurial spirit. Like I always want the next thing to be the greatest thing. Right. And you know, at some point that's no longer the case and it's just the way it is. Um, Oh, so here, this is a great segue into this other thing I wrote this morning. Uh, see, did I misspell anything? There's always room for the best and improvement. And, you know, I think with our company, it's like we make the best stuff. There's always room. And then don't get too cocky. We can always improve stuff. With that being said, which pisses Adam off, it's like, okay, so some things need to be frozen and we need to just go into production because it's nice to print that money. You, you can engineer forever. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I get it. I get it. Yeah. He's speaking Adam's language. Oh, my there, God. There's a time where yeah. you have to kind of. There, there are milestones and deadlines, yeah. and you good have, enough is you a have, real thing. You have to push, and, yeah. and it, it does have to be good enough, mm-hmm. right? So, if if you are walking something through, I, I spilled beer on your yeah, Swarovski it probably skill, is not the first time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you, uh, there there are times throughout a product's life cycle where you're developing it, and you just have to say this is ready. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah, go. I think it's always a balance like and it's it's probably not you guys, but I know, you know, I mean, the, not just us, but the whole world's witnessed it at SIG mm-hmm. where it's like, I swear, I hate these artificial fucking deadlines shot show or whatever. Right. This product has yeah. to launch. I think it's that's, like, well, that's, a, that's an important point. It has to launch if we're not going to get them back when we ship when them ready. Yeah, let's well, not like if we're not going to have recalls, we're going to have happy customers, then it's ready. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there is also, you know, probably to what you're saying and Adam would say is, you know, put, put a light under the engineer's asses and let's, let's get things done. I think if you, if you artificially constrain your engineers or your team with, hey, shot show, let's, mm-hmm. let's do this. Um, you're going to fall into the trap that I think all of us have at some point in our, in our careers, whether it's, you know, whatever yeah. brand, uh, I, I can speak for, for Taurus in the sense of the spectrum pistol, which is, you know, say what you want about it, had some good ideas and features behind it. Uh, they launched it at shot show, whatever year that was. And I know for a fact that they were still testing prototypes two weeks before shot show. Yeah. So they were at least a year out. I mean, th- yeah, that's not Taurus. That's everyone. It, it's everyone, but that's, that's a, that's an experience that I can speak yeah. to as a, you know, as a company. It depends what you are trying to accomplish at shot show. A lot of people don't want to take prototypes to shot show. A lot of people do, but they pretend that they're not prototypes. I, I want the product shipping two weeks before mm-hmm. we make it public. Sure. Yeah. And that's, that would be ideal. We, yeah, we, we that, will, we will that's, avoid that's any kind of, of embarrassment or heartache or but whatever. But it's hard when you set the deadline artificially because, mm. you know, things come up, like legitimate things come up. Like, I in no way think our engineers are lazy. But it's it's like, for in my, I should write another one of these life experience things. It's like everything's like three times harder or costs three times as much as you think. Mm. Right. Like, that's just the way, like, life in general is. And Smith and Wesson was the first company in a major way to do a launch where when they announced that gun to the public, it was already on the shelves of the retailer. I think Ruger, I think Ruger's done a better job than, than anybody. Well, what was this product? Smith, when they launched the shield, I think they were the first major gun company to do it where they had it launched that, where it was that organized and that orchestrated. Um, But when you showed that uh, slide just now of there's always room for improvement, and uh, there's always, you know, ways to be better. Uh, my mind went in a di- completely different place. Like, I think the fix is fantastic, and it's the best bolt gun right now that's out there. But I'm sure as soon as you launched it, there were things where you said, hey, for a 2.0 version of it or for the next iteration, there are ways to improve it. And I think a lot of companies fall into the the, the mix and, of... And the flip side of that, when you do something as innovative as this, you will have consumers and and i'm speaking to consumers to tell them to hey like take trust in in what the company's doing here there's probably people that said can you do this in a 30 out six and it's like we you know we're not doing a fucking civil war reenactment this is you know that yeah or the left hand or whatever yeah there's this uh there's a there's a, a a driving factor behind innovation that people cannot adopt to change you know and it, you know i well, use extreme example but yeah there's some of it but I, I don't i mean there are things that maybe we would change now i don't even know about the fix in the first couple of years like we hit a home run yeah um now later on maybe and, and but for me you know always being like the optimist and i think an entrepreneur it gives us an opportunity for a 2.0 um I mean, I can tell you, it's probably not likely that I won't be shooting that gun till the day I die. Like that gun, I love that gun. It means a lot to me. The gun works great. I've hunted all over the world with that gun. Um, but you know, I always think, uh, uh, like, I think what I meant by improvement, well, probably many things, but when it comes to, 
you know, like we look at scope mounts or other things. It's like, how can we take a product, make it better? Like we can't always develop something that is brand new and never been done, but we can, you know, like what percentage of improvement is better? I know like if any of you are into cars, it's like zero to 60. It's like just can we get a fraction of a second better? Then we got something new, you know? Yeah. And, and what goes on the website or sell sheet, you know, that people are going to yeah. see because, well, you, you know, like, like what's uh Ron, what's the fastest car you ever had? Uh, this car now, this, uh, the, what is it? The, the Panamera turbo. Yeah. Oh, a turbo. That, you have the turbo. Oh yeah. Oh, so fast. How fast is it? I, it's fast enough where I, I'm worried when I drive it. Like <laughs> what I, is it? What's zero to 60? I think it's 3.4 seconds or something like that. that I mean, it's so pretty fast, you know, but that's a, that's a thing. It, it's, it's a gasoline powered car, right? So I have an electric car that cost a fraction of that. That is 50% faster. Right. And that's, and it holds fast. seven people. <laughs> yeah. And it weighs 7,000 pounds. So like having an electric car. So that's where you think there's always room for improvement. You know, what? it doesn't even have to be that it can just be, like scope mounts or anything else but i mean you're right that car your car is so stupid fast it's ridiculous and i remember when you could get under six like under six seconds and i don't know so there's probably lots of guys that are listening to this more into cars than me but probably in the mid 80s if you could get under six seconds it was like a supercar right and and now it, it's like my suburban is probably zero to 60 in six <laughs> seconds it's to the point where and, you know, not that I know Elon Musk or speak for him, but Tesla had this Roadster concept car that they're bringing out, and it was 1.9 seconds, which is it's ab- absurd. Yeah. And they they came out with this SpaceX package that updated that to a 1.1. I don't even believe it. I've got to Google it because it seems How like, is it possible? I don't know. Like, my car, 0 to 60 in 2.4 seconds. And... It will almost make you pass out from the G's. So it's like... Make your gut sink back into the seat. Like literally tunnel vision the first time I tried it. And like I was telling you, I've got ludicrous mode and I've got ludicrous plus mode. So I drive in ludicrous mode because, you know, I'm a pirate. But ludicrous plus mode, oh my God. Yeah. Like it's... You better be paying attention because you're going to just ramp up the back of some other car. Like it's crazy. So I don't know. 1.1, like I don't even... I don't know. What I don't it think means. it's a thing. I don't. I don't know what that means. And well, because I think they only <laughs> did like you're speaking something that I don't know what that means. Yeah, one point nine because some other company came out with something that was a little faster than you know, like my car at two point four. So they're just like, and maybe uh, they never okay. make that package available to well, anybody. And it's like, yeah. let me reprogram that computer. Okay, one point nine. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, that's probably all that really happened. I mean, I don't know. Like my car now is a few years old. I'm sure they have like better motors and batteries, but but I mean, there's stupid. equipment on the car. There's axles. I'm assuming. I don't know a Tesla, but there's axles. There's things that have to hold up. <laughs> I don't know how Tesla works. A, <laughs> it's not just a. It's not a simulation. It's right? ridiculous. There's things that have to work to make this happen. But, well, at know? one point, one where does tire technology come in to where you're not just shredding oh, yeah. the entire yeah. tire at that speed? You know, I mean, put everything in that is ridiculous. Maybe making guns is the simplest thing in the world and, and cars and things, uh, airplanes, whatever. Which I'm sure... Maybe we're in the right, right business. I'm know? sure there was somebody at Michelin that was like, hey, the only reason we can't do a one in three twist is because bullet technology. And somebody at Michelin's like, Man, the only reason we can't do a 1.1 second zero to 60 is because the tires would tread. 
here, I'll come up with better technology yeah. for it. And it's they'll true. also rate your restaurant or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ford Focus is fast enough. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, you think that would have been a supercar like 25 years ago. The, yeah. The ST is awesome. The RS mm-hmm. is like yeah. what would have been considered a supercar back well, in the yeah. day. What do you have, an ST? I have an ST. Yeah. Yeah. They're fast. Yeah. So here, here's another. Uh, fuck those guys. So I kind of live by this. It works. I mean, I would say everybody should kind of take that. Oh, and this you was would, something to like you make details ma- on that one. Fuck those guys. Yeah. I well, think it's self-explanatory. It, it fits where it fits. What was that? Who'd that be? I don't know. Fuck those guys for it. For that, my buddy Chase, he's got this whole thing where he's just like F off, you know, and he's, if, if you're not worth the time, then he just says F off and then you're done. Mm. Centrifuge. Chase or no guys? Chase Myers uh yeah I mean I, I just think like fuck those guys like I, I I don't know like I'm not I'm I'm doing my own thing gonna live my life like I don't know it's probably some w- with the haters of that anonymous stuff but like whatever anybody else is doing um so tombstone wise I lived my way like I kind of think I hope that's the way that it ends up um yeah just not doing things because other people think I should so I don't know. That's like all that advice yeah. about being older and having all this wisdom beyond you guys. And with all that said, you should not listen to anything I ever say. <laughs> um, so how about this double gun? Oh, yeah. Grab it. So let's talk about hunting a little bit. So you two also enjoy the hunting. So what do you think about that? So we try to do an international trip every year. There's uh, four so, of us that go. So fancy. Myself, here. Brett, and then the two Jonathans. Not so, not so fancy in the sense of you know we want to go pay a lot of money. Um, we've been smart about it, but I think that we've done really well traveling the world hunting together. And it's well, how did you guys meet on a couple side or what? Brett and I yeah. met at uh, at a Howl at the Moon piano bar at the NRA show in Houston, Houston in twenty thirteen. Okay, so I was correct. And, yeah, yeah, uh, there's. Uh, before Grinder came out, but yeah. <laughs> oh God, dang it! Ah. It's a heavy gun. But yeah, we've you know, to me, hunting is so much more than just like the actual harvesting of the animal. It's oh. the it's the whole adventure. It's that camaraderie. The that you adventure, get. man. Like those guys are, you know, the the four of us that go on this trip every year. You know, they're my brothers. You know, like we've gone and experienced everything together and and we've seen some terrible things together and we've seen some of the most beautiful things in the world together and that's more to it there's so much more to it than the actual hunt no Uh, i mean it it is i mean and i try to convey it and i tried to in in a previous podcast where i just got back from africa one of the greatest trips i've ever had and like i've killed lots of animals but this and and i like killing stuff and i'm unapologetic about it um but this trip itself, it was the group of guys, the guys we were hunting with, which which you guys are going to go on a hunt with Crusaders? Yeah, in September, yeah. which yeah, we, we, we received word this morning, and I haven't told you that, but we're we're booked in early September. I, so great. I just found out about that you right now as yeah, we're as we are talking about speaking. <laughs> so it, it's the four of you guys, you, you guys and the two Jonathans? And the yeah. two Jonathans. Maybe I'm going to crash this party. Yeah. You guys don't even know. I'll be you there. Yeah. So this... Um, and those guys work with Hornady and they're... You might be you know. buying property or something over yeah, there. Yeah, so and I might maybe, get one. You know. But this... So I just got this after I got back. So when well, I was holding up, you see. So this is a, a Jeffrey's double rifle. So, um, 
just go in the bathroom. Keep talking. Jesus Christ. So 450-400. So it was it was recommended by my PH at Crusader for um, something he's seen as the most effective overall great penetration. Um, you know, it's not difficult to shoot. Hornady still makes ammo, which is cool. Uh, but this gun, I don't know. This gun, uh, I did look it up. I think its gun's about 110 or 115 years old. Wow. Uh, double rifle, traditional African, you know, big game, or people say dangerous game hunting. Um, the gun's beautiful. I mean, think all this is handmade. I mean, these guns are ridiculously expensive at this point. So I haven't had it pointed. It's not at me right now. but It's open. Uh, and it's open. But looking at it, just admiring the crown. Right. It's on uh. barrels. Those details on a, a gun that's that old is is exceptional. Yeah, know? I mean, you start talking about like the checkering and the engraving. The, I mean, everything on the gun is incredible. It's the old, they don't make it like they used to. You know, I'll tell you, somebody that does make it like they used to, Brett and I had the honor of getting the tour of Kriegoff. Oh. And, uh, and that's... And I might I'll be getting you, a Kriegoff. And Jeffrey's a, makes a cool factory. You know, well, it's cool, and they can produce an incredible double rifle that's affordable. The coolest part about that whole process there was the apprenticeship room, which is the first room they take you through in the tour. And the apprenticeship process is basically producing the tools yourself. You hand produce your own tools that you will use for the rest of your career. So your first year of your three-year apprenticeship is producing tools. Huh. And so you have to learn how to make the tools to make the guns before you make the every guns. single tool. That's so incredible. It, it's a, it's it's unbelievable. And you and see the man hours that go into these you know guns. You know they do high end shotguns and rifles, but it makes it worth every single penny. You know, and you're talking guns that are tens of thousands or over a hundred thousand yeah. dollars, and uh, you see what goes into it, and it's well worth it. It's really cool to see a eighteen, nineteen year old kid that you know doesn't really know what's in front of them but they have found this opportunity whatever it is and they're and they're making tools to checker a stock or to you know do you know whatever to the gun and what's well, cool is culturally those 18 19 year old kids that we saw in 50 years they will be there still making yeah. guns That's which so is really cool. really cool that is cool well what um so you guys been to Africa before with your hunting? We group? have, we have, yeah. So we went with uh, Numzam Safaris was the. You said that's a big one. They do a lot of volume. Yeah, yeah, they're they're a big one, and so typically the way that we find these trips or book these trips is we we try to find a a good value, whatever, uh, but we'll we'll book at the NRA, ILA banquet, whatever. Yeah, and we'll find in the silent auction, whatever, uh, a trip. And so that's how we found Numzon. That's how we found our, our Argentina trip. Um, lot up there, yeah. We generally wait till the end of the auctions. We, when we everybody camp out spent, next to what we yeah, want. We, well, uh, everyone spent their money, like Don Jr. had spent all his money on yep. everything else and everybody got frustrated, so they left. And then we, you know, Just when nobody else has anybody money, we, yeah, we... We buy the cheap hunts. Oh, that's good, man. I tell you, I've got a love affair with Africa and, and the hunting there, and I, I just can't. I'm going to go back two more times this year. I can't wait. People don't understand how beautiful Africa can be, and there's a lot of people that just simply don't know 
what that continent's all about and it's absolutely incredible it's yeah. worth the experience even if you're not going to go um on a hunt you know um, most everybody that would watch this or listen to this you know they're they're into it but um even just going for like a photography safari through uh kruger national park that's oh, yeah yeah and and all the different things you can you can hunt there you know i'm on i'm on a tiny 10 train whatever you want to call it i'm, oh, I'm focused cool. on that how many you got i have two and yeah. i got two in, in the first trip over there and you know it kind of kind of hooks you it's like yeah well, no, you, know, the, you have to the, the you have to do the cool. rest or whatever yeah and, and from here it gets more sporty it's it, you know clip springer some of these things that are yeah some up becomes more technical it's they are to hunt. Yeah. they're difficult to hunt you're talking a 400 meter shot on a less than 20 pound animal in some very rocky terrain yeah and yeah so like a and know, like little, 16 little inch tiny goats in six five creedmoor seems like the right you know like yeah, not plugging that sling that it. seems it's like the right thing to do lightweight it works yeah i've killed some of them with that it's good you have your diker and your steenbuck right now right correct yeah 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 i love the tiny ones yeah well. it's a lot shot a couple of them a lot of fun what um what's a favorite hunt you guys have been on man the first africa hunt is is something else um i've spent a lot of time personally hunting in germany mm -hmm. and so roe deer in germany for me is is a, a yeah. good time it's a different hunt it's a it's a cultural thing um that probably most people that visit germany don't experience um but africa was probably it i i'm a social person which you guys know and i i yes. love being around people and talking to people so um when we were in any any sort of hunt where you get a chance to you know uh drink a couple beers responsibly with your buddies and sit around and talk and still shoot you know so whether it's prairie dogs or in argentina getting a chance to sit there and shoot doves you know shoulder to shoulder with brett that was a lot of fun yeah. as well so you always drink responsibly is that what you're saying mr pc <laughs> when handling firearms yes That is pirate. <laughs>